welcome to episode 10 of Adventures in Advising with me, Colm Cronin. And hey, greetings and salutations. This is Matt Markin. Happy Monday, happy episode 10, and happy Star Wars Day, everyone. Absolutely. It is May. May the 4th be with you. How are you doing over there in California, Matt? Well, it's kind of a, a mixed bag in California. We still have the stay-at-home orders, but you do have some protests that are going on that have been going on over the last week week and a half um some counties are actually reopening some businesses as of today may 4th uh, which is actually in defiance of the governor's stay-at-home order um some beaches are open while there's a lot of the beaches that are closed um, the governor actually did say, though, that we are days and not weeks away from potential changes to the stay-at-home order. So not really, didn't really say if it's positive or negative, but we're led to believe there could be some loosening of some restrictions. So we shall see. So for the next podcast, I'm sure we'll have some, definitely some updates regarding that. School-wise, uh, my downtime right now is is on the weekends because during the week we're ramping up for summer registration, fall advising, and of course, new student orientation. It's basically been more coffee during the week uh, to stay caffeinated. I'll tell you that much. This last week, though, was in my student appointments, I had more students saying how they they miss school um, and they, they're missing the interactions. They don't necessarily miss the driving the campus or the commuting part. Um, that part, they, they, they still like uh, being at home, but they are missing not being actually in class. So, and, and I'll tell you, for me too, it's been, it's, it's nice seeing students virtually over this, these last like five, six weeks that I've had appointments, but I am missing being in the office and, and talking to students. So, you know, that's for real. Yeah, uh, com- completely. I think, you know, we, we miss we miss that interaction and, and even seeing somebody else's face and, and having them talk back to you makes a, a difference, I think. How are things going over there with you? So we had an update yesterday and they laid out a roadmap, I guess, to recovery. So right now the restrictions all but remain in place up until the 18th of May. The only real change in that is an extension of the amount, the distance you can go from your house, but all businesses remain closed and all the social distancing and cocooning remains in place. And then we will have a five-step roadmap beginning on the 18th with three weeks between each of them. And um, it will so it'll be a phased kind of reopening of things. Uh, hairdressers and barbershops won't reopen until sometime in July. Looks around about July twentieth. So I reckon I will resemble cousin it from the Adams family at that point. And the it'll be August before. Um, I suppose all businesses have the ability to reopen, but that's with social distancing. They also announced that schools, colleges and universities won't reopen until September, October. And my own institution, uh, DCU, uh, released a a statement last night saying that um, they're pushing back the beginning of the academic year until the, the 5th of October. We're still unsure around the 
Leaving Cert, which is the secondary school exams, what exactly is going to happen with that. So there's still a little bit of uncertainty, but I suppose at least now people have a sense of of where this is is going. So what have you been doing to to fill your time in, in the last couple of weeks? Um, I mean, aside from work, trying to keep busy uh, doing the podcast, uh, which I'm definitely still enjoying. But I've been doing a lot more reading and actually just got back into video games, too. So uh, right now I'm, I'm reading Diamond Dallas Page's Positively Unstoppable. So it kind of helps you rethink and refocus and challenges you on what drives us. So uh, Diamond Dallas Page, or DDP, as he's known, he was a, a former professional wrestler for WCW and WWE, who then became a yoga fitness instructor. So it, it's it's a crazy journey on how he got into wrestling and then what he does now, and it's very inspiring. So I'm um, a few chapters into this book, so I'm, I'm I'm really liking it so far. It is a great read, especially during this time when we could use a little positivity in, in our lives. So we have quite the episode in store today. I think we have a whole host of amazing interviews, and we even have a couple of bonus features in this particular episode. Yeah, so this is going to be a really exciting episode, I think. One, it being our 10th episode, so it's a big episode. But we're also getting to interview uh, three wonderful people uh, within Nakata, and that being Megumi Makino Kanahiro, who's the incoming Nakata vice president, Aaron Justina, the current president of Nakata, and of course, Charlie Nutt, the executive director of Nakata. But we also do have those bonus features, which is actually clips from various Nakata members, 19 Nakata members to be exact, where we ask them some questions. We, we ask them some things like what your favorite Nakata memory is, how has Nakata benefited you professionally, what's a, a great conference takeaway that you found attending conferences, as well as what was your first impression of Nakata. So we're going to sprinkle those throughout this episode, and it's going to be nice to really hear from the various advisors and those in academic advising, because they really have some great answers to these questions. So I can't wait for you to, to hear it. Yes, indeed, because this is a special episode. We are celebrating Global Advising Week and also Nakata's 40th birthday. Yes, happy birthday year to Nakata. And then we have the Global Advising Week, which we're a part of, which is great. Yay. And yeah, so with the Global Advising Week, it just started yesterday on Sunday with a few posts from Nakata from UCAT. There was a, a Nakata executive office video, a UCAT video where they shared their recipes for advising success, as well as... Um, a webinar of sorts of how to get the most out of your Nakata membership. So a lot, a lot of cool things that, that are spread out throughout this week. So I really hope you get to check all of it out. Yeah, it is promises to be a very exciting week. And I think there is plenty to celebrate. And maybe that's the best way for us to open the the podcast really is by sharing the responses to of some advisors to the question that we posed. Fantastic idea. Yes, we have 
Lots of memories from Nakata, but what is yours? Can you just pick one? So we asked a few Nakata folks. We asked Quentin Alexander, Sherry Souza, Casey Self, and Lynn Osiki that question. What's your favorite Nakata memory? And before we get to that, just to let listeners know, with Sherry Souza, she is now the first guest who's made an appearance now three times on Adventures in Advising. So it is a record. And we might have a prize for you, Sherry. I don't know. Maybe it's just bragging rights. But I think that's really cool, though. So congratulations. Hi there. This is Quentin Alexander. I'm a faculty advisor at Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia. And I will say that my favorite um, Nakata memory would be traveling to Dublin, Ireland for the 2019 Nakata International Conference. It was just fantastic to meet so many people worldwide with this common interest of serving students in a support supportful way uh, to make sure they receive the advising they need for career development and personal development. And also just to engage with the numbers of colleagues from across the world um, and I think one of the biggest highlights of that conference was presenting with Loxley Nibs from Florida Gulf Coast University. We um, are both very passionate about the topic of diversity. So to, to actually share information about advocacy uh, within the context of, of um, academic advising was fantastic. The synergy in the room was fantastic. Um, it was just a one-hour conference of many people stayed after. I mean, a one-hour session of many people stayed afterwards to talk to us about this. And that later turned into another one of my favorite moments was actually having this acceptance and pre-conference for the 2019 conference in um, Louisville, Kentucky, where we're able to talk about a framework for developing advocacy conferences for academic advising that we're still working on. Once again, the energy in the room, uh, the excitement for the topic, and its purpose was profound. So Nakata has brought me some really, really great memories. Aloha, my name is Sherry Souza and I'm the Region 9 Chair. I'm a counselor at Kapiolani Community College where I work with students in the Health Sciences and Emergency Medical Services Department. My favorite Nakata memory has to be attending the conferences. Going to a regional or annual conference is like attending a family reunion. You get the opportunity to reconnect with old friends, meet new friends, and you learn so much from everyone who's there. To be surrounded by such brilliant people in one location is such an amazing feeling. The best part is that everywhere I turn, there is guaranteed to be someone as equally nerdy and excited about students and academic advising as I am. I truly feel like we're so blessed to have an organization filled with so many passionate, knowledgeable, and really fun people. You leave the conference feeling so energized, refreshed, and really ready to conquer anything the students can throw at you. Unofficially, my favorite Nakata memory has to be learning about the Redneck Lava Lamp, but that's all I'm going to say here. So if you want to learn more, you can find me at one of those conferences and I'll share that story with you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with The Admissions Game wherever you podcast. Hey, Nakata Land, this is Casey Self at Arizona State University. 
my favorite memory of Nakata. Uh, after 22 years, of course, time on the board of directors and years president, visiting so many campuses. But I have to say my favorite time was 1998 in the annual conference in San Diego, California. We got to shut down my entire office here at ASU uh, with about 15 advisors. We drove over in about three cars, had a great time at the conference and, and created lasting memories that will last a lifetime. So 1998, San Diego, California, my favorite memory. Hi everybody, my name is Lynn Osicki and I've been asked to talk about my favorite memory from Nakata. Since I've been a member for more than 25 years, um, that's extremely difficult and in fact almost impossible. Um, I do want to say that I have sort of a series of very very important memories to me. The first set are the sessions that I've attended. Whenever I've had the opportunity to go to a conference, whether it be regional or national, and I've had the opportunity to participate in a webinar, I've learned things that I didn't know that I was able to use in my own practice with advising students or in guiding my office to develop new programs. So that's been fantastic. Um, it's been a huge education for me as someone who is a little bit older and wasn't trained to work with students with different backgrounds. Um, and I've learned so much about working with students of color, foster students, veterans, all sorts of things that I would never have learned without Nakata. And the second is that by volunteering and participating in the community of Nakata, I've developed some lifelong friendships, I've developed some great professional friendships that have helped me when I needed assistance. And so I just want to say being involved even from just volunteering at a conference or reading a paper or reading for awards can be one of the best things you can do because you begin to develop that professional network that really, really works for you. I think it was really lovely to essentially, you know, begin this by hearing about people's favorite memories and some really lovely moments uh, within that. And we want to thank everyone who participated and, and took their time to share their stories. And hopefully for listeners, you know, maybe it sparked uh, your own memories about your time in Nakata. And for those people who aren't yet Nakata members or haven't yet attended a Nakata event, Hopefully it gave you an idea of what you can expect in the future. And uh, I think we are now going to talk a little bit more in depth about NACADA uh, and what the organization has to offer. And we're going to do that by speaking to the incoming vice president. Isn't that right, Matt? Yeah, so first up is Nakata's incoming VP, Megumi Makino Kanahiro. Those of you who know Megumi know what I'm talking about when I say how positive and passionate she is about people and about advising. And I know this is going to sound cheesy, but you can't say Megumi's name without smiling or putting a smile on someone else's face. And if you don't believe me, try it right now. Megumi. Yep, I'm definitely smiling right now. So without further ado... Here's Megumi's interview. So our first guest is Megumi Makino Kanahiro, who is the director of 
the Manoa Advising Center and Advising Office for Exploratory Students at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. She earned her PhD in educational psychology from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. An academic advisor for over 18 years, Megumi has been active in Nakata in various capacities, including regularly presenting on peer advising and supervision and serving on committees such as the Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity Working Group, the Core Values Task Force, the Annual Conference Advisory Board, and the Global Awards Committee. She also served in leadership capacities and served in the peer advising and mentoring advising community as chair, for which she was awarded an Advising Communities Division Service Award and on the Advising Communities Division Steering Committee as a cluster representative. Megumi currently serves on the Nakata Board of Directors and will serve her final year on the board as vice president. Megumi, how are you? Aloha, and thank you so much for having me. And congratulations to both of you on your 10th a uh, very prestigious podcast. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. We're delighted to get the opportunity to chat to you and uh, on our on our tenth episode. So how how are things uh, with you? How are things right now in Hawaii? Uh, we just were issued. Uh, well, the governor just issued, I should say, um, an extension to our stay at home order till May 31st. And so, um, like most of the nation, we're scrambling a bit. Um, we face some unique challenges, um, being that everything that comes to Hawaii gets shipped to Hawaii. And so I know initially there was a concern about shortage on essential items, um, such as one of the ones uh, featured in Matt's recent uh, video, uh, the tossing of the of the paper, I should say. And you'll know what I'm talking about if you saw that one. Um, but... Um, <laughs> As far as our students go, one of my main concerns is that um, Hawaii has a very high cost of living. And I guess there's been concern on the part of students. We have some who have remained here, um, some who have gone home. It's It's been very interesting because, as you know, Hawaii, again, is unique in that there's an ocean separating us and the rest of the states. And so in terms of making decisions, um, a lot of them are making decisions based on finances, but also the fact that um, a, a number of them work in the food industry and have lost their jobs makes it difficult. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people probably in that pattern at the moment, which is waiting to to see. And uh, thanks for you know giving us an update on on what's going on um, in Hawaii now. This episode, I suppose, is looking at uh, Nakata and celebrating Nakata's 40th birthday and everything to around academic advising. So, you know, Matt. Uh, went through your very impressive bio there, but maybe you could talk to us a little bit and to listeners about how you first got involved with advising. I actually got involved um, by accident, and, and I think uh, this happens quite a bit. Uh, but I had I was working on a project with a colleague, and she, um, I it was it was kind of loving. Love at first sight with advising because um, there was a situation in which I had to go and ask her a question about something. And she had an office that had a glass window and I was able to peer in and I noticed that she was sitting there with a student. Um, she was an advisor. And so I, I, I stood there and I realized that I probably shouldn't be standing there. So I turned to go, but there was something about their interaction that just drew me in and that was so powerful. And I could tell that 
the student was hanging on every single word that she was saying and it was so powerful and I just I was dying to know what that was and the weird thing is that as she was talking to him all of a sudden I saw her eyebrow just go up a, just a bit and I knew that she had seen me and I said oh god that's weird and I left and then she caught up with me later and she said hey I saw you and I said yeah how'd you do that is that like a superhero you know uh a spidey function I don't know whatever that is um and she said well no I I you know I noticed that you were at the door and you know what's up and I said well before I tell you what I really came to talk to you about I want to know and I understand you might not be able to tell me details but what were you talking to the student about because it looked earth-shattering it looked amazing and she just kind of laughed and she said no we were just talking about registration and what courses they should take and I said wow so tell me a little bit more about what advice he is. And that's how I got pulled in. So can you talk about your trajectory in terms of advising a becoming director? Sure. It, it happened quite, um, quite instantly, I would say. Um, I was just asked to establish a new advising center on campus. And so um, my boss, Dr. Ronald Canberra, uh, called me into his office and said, you know, we're thinking of starting up this new office for exploratory students. I said, great. And they, he said, you know, and it's going to have all these students that you're going to work with and we want to um, have mandatory advising and we're going to look at mandatory declaration of major. And I said, great. And he said, and you're going to supervise folks. And I said, oh, not so great. Um, because I didn't, that wasn't something I aspired to do. It's some, not something that I saw myself doing. I was used to being a worker bee. I was not used to kind of leading the charge for others. And um, what what's interesting is that's now become my most favorite part of the job. Um, it's really interesting working with individuals and I pride our office, Manoa Advising Center, on having the most diverse uh, folks on the planet um, who come from very different um, backgrounds and very different perspectives. And so uh, Myers-Briggs, Harry Potter, any test you know of, DISC, we've taken them all and we all fall along the spectrum. So we, we re equally represent different views, which I think is very powerful and makes us uh, a really good office. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. And so you mentioned Harry Potter. So what house would you fall in? Ah, uh, if you had to guess, what would you say? How about we? How about if you had to guess mine? Ah, oh, that is so hard. I don't know. Well, you definitely have the magic. You and Colum, <laughs> with the podcast and with all your creativity, you guys definitely have the magic. But I don't. Oh man, I'm not sure. And and if you can't guess, I'll 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 tell you. Yeah, you gotta tell me. <laughs> uh, Slytherin, actually. No, really? Yes. Uh, okay. 
Okay, that that's very interesting. Now I feel like I know a whole heck of a lot more about you. So uh, <laughs> good to know. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> Uh, and I'm Hufflepuff, so clearly, ah. yeah. Colum, what are you? I don't know. Um, I have, uh, I suppose, lived uh, on on the outskirts, uh, working with students. I have lived on the, the outskirts of the Harry Potter world for. Um, are, are we? Are, is it decades at this point? Or is it? Is it plural? Um, but I, I don't know my myself. Um, but it, it's. I know. I know enough to to know kind of roughly what those two those two houses mean. Well, you'll have to take the test, and then um, the next podcast, let us know. <laughs> Mugumi, can you? Since you were talking about uh, your advising center being director there, can you talk about um, your with specifically your advising center? what kind of student student populations that, that you advise? So we advise exploratory students um, through all four years. We're trying to, of course, um, basically uh, bring down our population of super seniors. And so we're uh, trying to move towards uh, mandatory declaration of major earlier on than what is happening now. Um, I personally um, see, well, we see exploratory students um, in our six different paths um, in exploratory. Um, and my role in the office is very different. I'm kind of the vice principal, so to speak. So I work with the students who are, are having academic difficulty, who've been uh, below a 2.0 for three semesters or more, and the students who have over uh, 90 credits. And so um but I really love my work, um, and it's very rewarding. Megumi, I, I know that you had a lot of involvement in a lot of different things, but maybe how you initially got involved with, with NACADA yes. <laughs> would be interesting to hear. At our campus, we are very fortunate in that our um, some of our positions on our campus for advisors are tenure track. And as a result, one of the things that we are required to do is we are required to present or publish or do the, those types of things activities. And um, I have to be honest with you, I uh, public speaking is not one of my favorite things to do. And so um, I, I very begrudgingly, I remember went to my first conference. And I walked in, I'll never forget. And it wasn't necessarily the opening, which, as I'm sure you both are well aware, can be very staggering. But it was just the realization of walking into the room um, in which I was going to present with two others, that my my heart just dropped and I almost fled in terror. I almost didn't make it because I was just so surprised um, just with the enormity. I think you folks talked in a previous podcast about the difference between international, regional, and in, um, national or um, annual, I'm sorry, um, Old habits die hard, old wordings die hard, unfortunately. And so um, I think my first steps were very tentative. And um, it was really by um, being connected with some very good people and people who kind of just took me under their wing. And it was kind of almost by accident. And it was just one person here, one person there. I always say I had a Nakata fairy godmother and Rebecca Kofer. Um, who really um, 
when, when I was a peer advising and mentoring commission um, chair, uh, she was our cluster representative and she totally took me under her wing and I, I couldn't say no. She was like, okay, we're going to do this. And I, and I would just follow her. And I basically felt like I kind of got adopted into the whole thing. Um, and so, you know, I think I was very lucky, but I, I will tell you that with Nakata, the nice thing is there are always people there um, quite literally um, and figuratively sometimes too. At the uh, Minneapolis conference, I remember that we were doing um, training for uh, the ACD and I was lost, literally, because I was sitting in the wrong session. They have a session for the administrative division, they have one for the AC division, and they have one for the um, region division. And I was sitting next to uh, Peggy Go, who she was the, uh, at, at that time, right, she was the one who, um, who makes sure that Nakata financially is running, right? And I introduced myself and she and we chit-chatted for a bit. And then I thought, this is odd. Why am wait, why am I here? And why is she here? At first I thought she was in the wrong place. And then I realized, oh no, I'm in the wrong place. So I went dashing out and literally Jennifer Jocelyn out of nowhere just appeared and she was like, Megumi, how are you doing? And I said, I'm lost. And she pointed me literally in the right direction. And I have never forgotten that. But little things like that have really meant a huge difference. Yeah. Speaking of like first times you're, you're meeting people, do you remember first time meeting us two? Actually, kind of funny story or small world or however you might put it. Um, the longer you stay in Nakata, and granted, I've been at Nakata member for a really long time. The longer you stay in Nakata, everything and everyone is connected um, in ways that you do, don't even realize. And so I remember for a long time thinking, Matt Markin, that name sounds so familiar. <laughs> and um, Column, I think Matt and I made the realization that um, he was in the first uh, iteration of the peer advising and mentoring e-tutorial that I facilitated. And so I had to apologize profusely to him because I was still trying to figure out which way was up and how to best support folks. And so uh, we were kind of having a laugh about that. I don't know if he wants to add anything to that. but So we were talking uh, earlier and <laughs> my first recollection, I was thinking, I was like, oh, well, in person, we met, I think, at the Phoenix Annual Conference because uh, Leah and Megumi had a panel they were doing on the last day um, and it was the first session that morning like eight o'clock right and which a lot of times the last day is not the most well attended and and actually now that I'm saying the story I, in my mind I actually I do remember when we we actually met before this oh. um, and so I'll get to it so, so Leah was nervous that not a lot of people were going to attend I go in there it, it's it's I think for an eight o'clock session it was pretty well attended and more people came in during during the session, but Ogumi was great. Like everyone was great on that panel. And I remember um I gave Megumi a, a pin and then you know she goes, you know, to the front to her bag, and I'm like, Oh, okay, she's gonna you know, she's putting it away. She comes back and there's like a bag of chocolate and she has my name written on it. And I'm like, wait, when did this happen? <laughs> and she's like, Well, you know, thank you so much for this pin. I wasn't expecting it here and i was like what and which those chocolate covered macadamia nuts are so good by the way as i was saying the story you know Magoo was talking about how 
you know, she was a facilitator for um, a, a peer advising e tutorial that that I, I did, and she was she was my facilitator, and we were talking about you know she was apologizing. And I'm like, why? Like she gave such really great advice and really good critiques, and she is really good. And and here's the reason why is at the end towards the end of that the e tutorial, it was like our last assignment, and I could be a procrastinator. I ended up submitting my last assignment. And I know it was not my my best. Um, I kind of was did the bare minimum, and Megumi knew because when she um, graded it, I didn't get full points for for that one. And I know that she really takes that stuff seriously because she said, "I I can tell like it wasn't as specific I was hoping it would be, especially when I compare it to the other work that you submitted throughout this e tutorial." I'm sorry that no it was the best advice because it, it kept me accountable and so um, so i appreciate that and i i do remember when we first actually uh met though it was actually in reno at the region nine conference the last session my colleague evelyn knox shout out evelyn we were doing a presentation on um, undecided advising and some some things that we had done at our school to help students find their major early and, you know, to, and try to get students to declare sooner, but to do it strategically. And you attended that session. And I remember on the shuttle ride back from the campus to the hotel, there was a lot of, a lot of people there for the last session of the last day. And you said, that's a testament to the topic. And when conference uh, committees pick the sessions, you said they, they want to find sessions that they know people will stick around for till the end. So you should feel good about that. What I like about the last kind of five, six, seven minutes of this has been so much of it harkens back to the student experience, the the fear of, of that initial public speaking and overcoming that, uh, sitting in the wrong place. Uh, how, how many of us had that experience of students finding somebody to take you under their wing, somebody literally pointing you in the right direction, uh, be, you know, being maybe... Uh, you know, a little finding yourself being procrastinating, not submitting, you know, your best work and, and then finding somebody that, you know, maybe calls you on that in a nice way and actually inspires you for the future. All of these things are really so related to advising itself. And that's I think that also goes to a testament to um, Megumi and she can be such a mentor to a lot of people. And we were talking earlier about how anytime her name gets brought up, you know, people smile and they immediately have a story, a positive story. And, yeah. and it's true. You may not think so, but it is. But can you talk about, because you're part of a lot of different and have been a part of a lot of different um, groups within Nakata and committees and working groups. And I mean, you're in, the Global Awards Committee, you've helped with the Annual Advisory Board. Um, can you talk about your experience with maybe some of these specific areas that, that you've been in, um, why that's been important to you? All of them kind of have a common theme. And I found that I really, there, there's two things that keep pulling me back. And one has been that um, it's the people and just being able to work with different combinations of people. Um, I have made it my personal mission um, since a few conferences back that anytime anyone wants to figure out how to connect with Nakata, 
I will, I will do it. I will personally do it. Um, and I will sit with them and ask them, what are you interested in? Let's fit that with you. I, I do my advising on the advisors <laughs> and I basically say, okay, well, let's find a major for you. Let's find an AC. Um, and let's find, you know, like what committees you would be good on. Let's tell me about your skills. You know, how would that tie into what Nakata is offering and how can you, I think you folks said it brilliantly. Um, in your first podcast, actually, where you said everyone has something to give and everything, everyone has something to share. And I think that's so true. And um, the, the commission that I'm, um, or, I'm sorry, work group, <laughs> again, it's been renamed, the work group on diversity and inclusion um, that I think was uh, um, recently created, um, being head up, headed up by Jessica Stassen and Loxley Nibs. Um, so in terms of the uh, working group, it's really important. And the reason why it's so important is that um, Nakata becomes stronger with every person that joins it, every new perspective. Um, I've learned so much from the people that I've had the honor really of serving with and working with and meeting at different conferences. Sometimes I meet a person just once. Um, with Matt, apparently we've met over and over and neither of us remember. Um, but that's okay, right? Um, but, you know, it's like sometimes I just meet one person in passing and it, it's so interesting how the ripples kind of go out. But really, we need everyone at the table. This is so important right now. Um, I'm so happy. I thought that the formation of the then task force was a huge step in the right direction in terms of getting us to where we need to go. Because I really feel that Nakata is wonderful, but it can be so much better and stronger um, with everyone's voice. And so that's why I, I really think that that's an important step that we're taking. Um, the other piece of it has been, I feel as though I've been discovering the mystery that is Nakata because every committee I've learned different pieces of information. And one of those uh, personality tests, um, one of my categories is learner. And I really love to learn things. I'm that person on um, when they have tours of different places that I'm taking notes and taking pictures feverishly and people are like, are you doing this for a project? And I'm like, no, I just want to remember everything, you know? And so they're like, uh, yeah, so it's, it's just, that's just who I am. And so I really, I really love, for example, one of the biggest mysteries to me is what is Nakata? And I remember as a incoming or a board member being onboarded, arriving in Manhattan, Kansas and falling in love with it because it's really that that sleepy little town, you know, um, and it's so different from Hawaii and from what I, I know. And so I was just um, so enchanted with everything. And um, and I remember thinking, OK, I'm going to I'm going to go see where Nakata is. So I walked to Nakata um, from the hotel, um, got good exercise that day. Um, and basically, um, as I was going there, I said, wow you know, okay, Nakata has this building. And I thought, it's not as big as I thought it would be for some reason, whatever, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe, you know, they, they have additional buildings, right? Because considering the amount of stuff they pull off and how many uh, volunteers that they're coordinating and, you know, the staff must not fit in this, you know, building. And, and so then I walk into the building and there's an elevator and I'm like, wait, wait, 
why there's all these other departments. Nakata has like this one floor and this one office number. What's going on? And I walk into the Nakata floor and I was, I was floored. I was, I could not believe that. I mean, I know that a lot of national organizations of our size have entire buildings like skyscrapers dedicated to them with hundreds of workers. And it's just always shocking to me how much um, the executive office can pull off with such a small staff, you know? And so um, that was one big Nakata mystery. Uh, but I, I find mysteries as I go and I, I'm really um, interested to find out as much as I can about Nakata because I think it really offers so many wonderful opportunities for its members. Yeah, and uh, I think a testament just to the way in which Nakata inspires its members to get involved, that it's the people, it's not the the place, uh, you know. And I suppose you've been very generous to share, you know, how you got into advising, how you're, you know, you initially got involved with Nakata, your involvement in some of the committees. Maybe uh, to, to, to hear some more of your Nakata stories, are there any particular highlights or moments or, or stories that you can share that the memories from conferences or Nakata, any, any Nakata events that you've been involved in that stand out to you? There are just so many. I, I can't even, um, what, what I can tell you is that my, my mom, so this was the most interesting observation um, is that my mom um, asked me um, at one point, she saw all my pictures on Facebook and she said, what happens at these conferences? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you look so happy. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm so um, stressed out and worried about the presentations and all of this. And But the fact that she said it so strongly, I went back and I looked at the pictures and I realized wow, yeah, I really, I, I feel alive. Um, I don't always have the best sleep <laughs> at Nakata conferences, but it's it's this wonderful opportunity to, um, to see folks, you know? I'm actually an introvert. I consider myself an extreme in- introvert, um, but I, I really feel as though Nakata has kind of nudged me. And so I... At Nakata conferences, I managed to actually sometimes pass off as an extrovert, you know, but I have to recover afterwards. And sometimes I need to, um, as Karen Archambault recommended, you know, give yourself permission to kind of be the introvert and like maybe eat dinner by yourself in what, you know, it. Uh, one night just to recharge like it's okay to do that you know I just I just love that um, there there are so many little kind folks in Nakata um, both the members the EO um, even even just I, I and I, I'm not holding out on you guys I just have too many stories it's like I, I, I can see all these faces I can see all these experiences and it's just it's just this rush of of um, appreciation and thankfulness for everyone who who makes Nakata part of their life. I guess is the best way of putting it. Tying to that, uh, we did ask listeners to submit questions. This one's an mm-hmm. anonymous one that was submitted, and I think this one fits perfectly to tie into this. Is you know Charlie Nutt often mentions that Nakata is a family, and a lot of times he has the hashtag Nakata family. Can you share 
your own Nakata family story or maybe when you first felt like Nakata was a family to you? I think everybody comes into Nakata in different ways. Um, some people, you know, join different committees or um, at different levels. So regional level, you know, administrative, AC. Um, but I have to say it was, I think maybe the first time that I really truly felt that way was when, when I was a peer advising and mentoring commission chair, um, I had, uh, there used to be a competition where you would do kind of like an informational presentation, kind of a more creative presentation, and kind of just the overall. So there were three different categories. Um, and it was just in fun, but it was to encourage everyone to kind of do their best because the uh, the posters or the presentations are used um, to promote the uh, commissions, what used to be called the commissions and interest groups, now the ACs. Um, and... I remember thinking, okay, well, um, information, I can work on it, but right now I don't have the time, to be honest. And, you know, conference is tomorrow. And and um, I ended up just deciding, you know what, I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to do what I do. So I ended up, and this was in Vegas, I think. And what I ended up doing was I ended up um, plastering our poster with pictures of peer advisors and I ended up using lights. And I think um, no one else had thought of that before. And as a result, I, I won that. And I remember feeling just stunned when they came up and gave me or announced it and gave me a hug. And I just remember feeling so accepted as who I was because I was like, wow, I'm being me. And they like me for me. Like it was, it was just such a warm feeling and it was just, um, and, and you know, the other chairs were coming in like, congratulations. And that's great. And, you know, and, and as a result, you know, some of them um, like Kyle Ross, for example, came up to me and we started joking about it. He's like, you're going to pull out lights on me. What is this? And we made this pack. Like we're never going to like do more than four presentations at any given. Cause we were comparing, you know, and we're saying, Oh wow, we had a business meeting and we had this presentation and that presentation and this. And we said, we're never going to do it again. We pinky promised. We both broke that rule. Of course. Right. But but that's the kind of magic that happens. I You know, I remember hearing about how you and Column um, were put together quite literally by Charlie. Right. He's like, you two need to meet. Boom. You know, and it's that kind of just people reaching out to each other and and meeting each other. And yeah. Anyway, I, I just I just. I guess because it was at a point where I felt very vulnerable because I felt like I was really being me, honestly me, and I really felt embraced. And I just, I just love that. So no matter what other award I might win, I have to say that one really hit me in the heart. I don't know how to explain it. I think that's a really beautiful memory. And I think that just speaks so elegantly about, you know, being yourself and getting the recognition for that. So Thank you for, for sharing that with us. And uh, Matt, were there any other questions that we received for Magumi? Yeah. And so this one, I think, ties in because uh, you were mentioning about the, the ACs. Uh, how can the question is, how can I join 
an advising community? There are many different good ways to join an advising community. Um, I realize that not everybody makes it to the conferences, you know, um, and who knows at this point when we will have our next in-person conference. Um, a lot of times at the conference, a good way to join would be to attend the business meeting. And the first business meeting I attended, I didn't attend because I walked in and I didn't know anyone. And I was really freaked out. And I turned around and I walked out. True confession. Okay. Um, don't tell anyone at Nakata EO that I did that. But I did that because I was so overwhelmed a little bit. Um, and I wasn't sure because business meetings sound so official and you need to know what you're talking about and this and that. But um but I've learned that it's not such a scary thing. And so as much as possible, I think that the chairs do their best to really welcome people and pull them in. And so um, that's one way. But you can also join the listserv and you don't even need to be an official member. But oh, 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 but I should go back to the practical piece of this. I'm so sorry. I should have started there first. Um, you need to, when you sign up for membership with Nakata, you need to actually indicate, you have choices. And so you need to indicate which ACs you want to select, okay? And this is very important because it could have ramifications for your future career. Um, because if you want to go into anything in leadership, you need to be a member for at least a year before you can run um, to be on, um, to run for chair, right? Um, you can also, like, if you're really, gung-ho and you want to jump in, um, you could also do uh, like see if you can join a steering committee. Now, I'll be honest, the opportunities are different depending on which advising community you have, because sometimes um, there are some advising communities that are huge, that are very well organized, that have a group of people who kind of have been um, they have been con continuing a tradition. There's others that are brand new, like um, this year, I'm so happy that uh, we're having a social justice advising community, for example. You know, um, but I think a lot of it, some of it is timing, but a lot of it is just throwing your name in the hat. You could also read proposals uh, for an advising um, community. You know, there's there's many different ways that you can join in the content. That's why I love it so much. Um I guess it's kind of an extension of what I do at University of Hawaii at Manoa because there I tell everyone, um, and this might be another Harry Potter type reference, but I kind of say we're like a train station and we help everyone get on the right train and pick the right major. And if you're on the wrong train and you realize you're not on the right one, just get off and then we'll find you on another train. It might take you a little longer, but that's okay, right? But same thing with Nakata. It's kind of like, there are so many trains leaving the station of Nakata. There are so many opportunities, whether it's writing, research, um, leadership positions. Um, um, there, there's so much there. I can't even, I mean, yeah. And it, it just keeps growing every day. <laughs> uh, every time I open my email and I'm like, wow, there's new opportunities. So this morning I woke up extra early and watched, you know, the Global Connection you know, two of the two of the videos, but there's just always new things added and new ideas. So we have another question. This one actually is from Leah, Leah Panganivan from University of Washington. So Leah wants to know, there was a Nakata Inclusion Engagement Task Force that was created. What is the goal of this task force? And what are some of the initiatives that the task force is working on? That is an excellent question. 
<laughs> and I know her, so I thank her for the question. Um, I think maybe the best thing to say at this point is that um, as with many things, um, things have gotten a little sidetracked um, due to um, the coronavirus uh, crisis. And so um, we were kind of getting organized. Um, I'm a, uh, the board, uh, one of the board liaisons along with Michelle Ware. Um, and the group is a phenomenal group. They've been having a lot of discussions. And the nice thing is that executive office really has extended um, resources, time and energy in terms of uh, making sure that the, um, the group can get the kind of support it needs to do the work it needs. Now, to be honest with you, a lot of uh, folks feel that it's important that everybody meet in a group physically. And the first time we met was at the previous conference, the last conference. And um, it was on the last day uh, for like an hour. And so we didn't have uh, much we could get accomplished there. But we have been meeting regularly on Zoom and uh, moving ahead. Um, that said, you know, a lot of it was just clarifying in terms of what the scope is and what, what we need to do. The group is very invested in terms of looking at Nakata as a whole and kind of rethinking um, all the possibilities, um, what could help to benefit, what could help to improve. And um, there have been discussions about creating safe spaces for everyone and how important that is. There really is a lot going on, but I also don't want to get scolded by the chairs in terms of overstepping my bounds in terms of what we are or are not doing. But I will say that um, they are keeping us on track and um, we will be reporting in terms of what um, as as things develop. Um, so stay tuned because a lot of exciting um, there just the brainstorm, I have to tell you, I was so impressed with. There were so many ideas. And I know that this is going to be a massive effort. And it's going to take all of us. And it's going to take small actions and big actions and big initiatives and small initiatives and um, simple just talking to each other and asking more questions. And um, there's there's a lot of work ahead. But I would say at this point, um, I, I, I don't think I can... Um, I don't, I, I don't think I can concretely say because a lot of it is, uh, as I would say, percolating. <laughs> so Yeah, it's going to be a continued, continued work in progress, but a lot of hard work ahead. But if anyone can do it, it's, it's Nakata members. That's for sure. <laughs> I know Colin and I were talking earlier, and for one, we just want to say congratulations on becoming incoming vice president of Nakata. Thank you. And related to that, we were interested in knowing... Uh, what are you most looking forward to in this new role and uh, what kind of goals are you looking to accomplish? I'm really so excited because again, it allows me to work with people. Um, I think one of my primary tasks is going to be to help uh, uh, facilitate um, liaison, serve as a liaison between the council and the board. And I enjoy working with different people and a lot of the folks on the council coming up. I'm, I'm so excited because all the folks who are who are there, I, I know I, I and I know they're going to achieve great things. And so it will actually make my job very easy, I think. But I, I really um, 
am honored to have this responsibility and it will allow me to again learn more about Nakata and how we can better connect and how we can better improve Nakata um, and make it really, um, I know you said family and I, I'm always gonna use my favorite Ohana, <laughs> uh, word Ohana. Uh, so as vice president, a lot of what I'm hoping to do is I really see my work as being more um, behind the scenes and trying to help coordinate people and really um, listening. And um, I have to say, if I may, that I think that one thing I want to let your listeners know is that Nakata does listen. Um, there have been a lot of times when a single email has created like an hour's worth of discussion um, in an already crammed agenda, you know, um, in terms of the board, in terms of the council, in terms of what the priorities are. Um, everything is taken very seriously. And I know I personally have been impacted a great deal um, by folks who have reached out to me sometimes by email, um, sometimes um, uh, bumped into them at the airport. So for example, um, Ariel Collitz, who is the um, incoming chair for the diversity, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the the social justice uh, committee. Um, we actually started a conversation at an airport and we talked for two hours. You know, I, I just really want to know more um, so that I can be more effective and that I can help connect more people. And as I said, it's really my personal mission to connect people to Nakata. And I, I see it as a personal challenge. So if anyone thinks that they can't get connected to Nakata, I want them to come and email me or give me a call and, and we'll get you connected. We'll get you set up. Well, I, I really, I wanted to get, I knew we were moving towards the end. Uh, while we were going through the, the interview, we're going to be like three words really kind of kept coming back to me in relation to, to you. And, and those three are uh, authenticity, uh, empathy, and genuineness. And I think that is the reason that people respond to you, that when your name is mentioned, people smile. And I think that has been evident throughout this interview. And I'm very excited that that's what the gifts and, and skills and talents that you are going to bring to the role of vice president, because those words kept bouncing around my head um, as you were going through your answers. Each and every time your answers really came back to, to those things. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm. <laughs> this, this was so much fun. I, I, if if Matt or Colin reaches out to you guys, I hope you will take them up on their offer. This is like the best uh, long distance uh, talk story, as we say in Hawaii, that I've had ever. So, thank you. I had so much fun on our chat with Magumi, even though my internet kept cutting out. There was an issue in Ireland and in the UK. And so I uh, appreciate the patience of Matt and Magumi. But I thought she was just so warm and friendly. And she is just a wonderful way of offering insight and a whole lot of fun, I felt, Matt.
Yeah. So what you may not know during the interview by listening to it was that two times Colum's internet went out during the interview and Megumi and I were like, uh, what happened to Colum? But I'm glad the internet worked again and you could rejoin us. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 I was like, going to say it just, just vanished. Um, one of the good things in, I suppose it with, with this is the ability hopefully to take out, um, the the fact that it gives you two two tracks so you can take out uh, any of the me me in the background. Yep, that's the power of editing audio. And now, following that, we have a group of advisors who are going to share their best conference takeaway. And um, I think this is another really interesting segment, and I guess hopefully will allow listeners to ruminate on you know, their memories of going to different events and different conferences and what we take away from those events and what we bring back to our campuses. And so in this segment, we are going to hear from Ryan Shekel, Oscar van der Vindhard, Loxley Nibs, Leah Paganiban, and Maria Domingo. And I have no doubt whatsoever that I butchered some of those names, but hopefully hearing them said with an Irish accent helps to ease the pain of, of that. So uh, let's go straight into that segment now. Hey, y'all. My name is Ryan Sheckle. I'm Assistant Director for Pre-Professional Health Careers at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. I've been in advising since 2002. And my best conference takeaway is a realization that, well, I don't know, maybe it took me a little longer to figure out than others, but it was a realization that the energy and excitement and thoughtfulness I felt leading up to and during a conference didn't have to be limited to that week or that city. It takes intentionality for sure. But connecting with advising colleagues, the scholarship of our field, and best practices doesn't have to be something we do just every once in a while. It can be part of our regular daily practice. I'm a bit of a processor. I'm in my head a lot. And it took me a while to fully appreciate how talking with others about the work that advisors do informed and enriched my thinking. And that was during conferences. Being able to bring that benefit to wherever and whenever I was dramatically changed the way I think about what academic advisors can do. Whether via published advising scholarship, advising Twitter chats, connecting electronically or in-person with advising colleagues, I can recreate a conference-like experience, admittedly at a smaller scale, anytime I want and in a much more cost-effective way. My best conference takeaway was figuring out how to keep the conference going. Hi, my name is Leah Panganiban. I work at the University of Washington. And my best conference takeaway is that you actually don't have to attend 100% of the conference. The first few years I went to conferences, I tried to go to every single session. And then I realized um, the benefit of actually just talking and networking with people in between sessions. Uh, there's something to be said about walking in downtown Phoenix or Louisville or wherever it may be and getting to know somebody both informally um, and learn about them both personally and professionally. So that's my best takeaway. Hi everyone, my name is Loxon Nibs and I'm at Fernicoff Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. 
I have to say that one of my best conferences was, la was last year annual that was held in Louisville, Kentucky, where we had Dr. Tyrone Howard as our keynote speaker. Dr. Howard spoke about diversity, inclusion, engagement, and about marginalized population and the need to make them feel important and included as part of the institution. He opened a conference with that on a Sunday and the Monday he had a part two and it, I felt like I didn't get enough and I had to go back and see him. The things that I took away from that conference I brought back to my institution and tried to incorporate that in my advising practices. I also shared the information with my colleagues as well and also the members of Team Natural Sciences who I work with on a daily basis to ensure that our students feel as part um, included and engaged and the importance of diversity when it comes to advising. Um, hopefully 2020 Puerto Rico will outdo that but as I've attended five Nakata conferences and I must say that was one of my best ones. Um, because of what Dr. Howard brought to the table and what I took away from it in terms of best practices. Hello, my name is Maria Domingo and I'm an academic advisor for the Jack H. Brown College of Business and Public Administration at California State University, San Bernardino. My favorite Nakata memory would have to be attending the Region 9 conference at Santa Rosa, California. At that conference, I was able to meet Dr. Kristen Venegas, who is providing research consultations. I was having a really difficult time in finalizing my research questions for my dissertation, but after our conversation and her feedback, I was able to move forward in the process. I also have fond memories of meeting new people at the conference and attending the different sessions with my colleagues and having conversations on how we can bring back what we learned to our respective departments. And finally, being able to go to the Charles M. Schultz Museum was so much fun. I'm a big Charlie Brown fan, and being able to see the different artwork on display was phenomenal. Thank you for letting me share my favorite Nakata memories with you all. Stay safe, and happy 40th anniversary, Nakata. Hello, my name is Oscar van der Weijgaard. I'm with Maastricht University in the Netherlands. And the best conference takeaway for me is always the energy and the inspiration I get out of it. Being together with a group of people for three days or sometimes more and listening to everything they have to say and share about what they do and sharing what I'm doing with others, uh, new ideas and insights, exchanging ideas and information, um, or sometimes just sitting back and reflect upon sort of the interesting challenge that advising can be. Um, and the wonderful thing is we're all doing this coming from different backgrounds. And, and it truly is an exchange of perspectives. And listening to someone talk about advising with a certain idea about what student success is about that may be different from mine is, is inspiring because it makes me think both about my underlying values and about what I do. So that's, that's wonderful about it. And um, that's what keeps me sort of going back to these conferences. Nakata, congratulations. Wonderful takeaways, especially knowing that you don't have to go to each session since there's always so much to do and you might still need that downtime to recharge. But one of the best conference takeaways for me has always been meeting you, column, And I think that that's where we now we'll cue the track of the audience saying, aww. But seriously, doing a podcast and being 10 episodes in, how cool is that? 
Absolutely. And here we are 10, 10 episodes later into the, the podcast. And I don't even know how many videos we've worked on to, together. So um, definitely, I would I would concur. We we really put a, put the, the theory into into practice. And I suppose that's partly what we're going to talk about in our next in-depth interview which is with the current Nakata president, Erin Justina. And she was kind enough to take some time this week to have a chat with us from from her home. Yeah, Erin is another fantastic person who just has such a wealth of knowledge and is so, so supportive. I mean, one of the areas she's big on is workplace culture. And in this interview, you'll be able to tell how she always wants to bring the best out of everyone and have everyone's voice at the table. So let's dive right in. Look for the good in everything. Mm-hmm. Look for the people who will set your soul free. All right, and we have Aaron Justina. Aaron's 20 years of experience in higher education has transversed student affairs, undergraduate education, and academic affairs. She has directed experiential learning programs, advised students with disabilities, taught and mentored students returning from probation and suspension, and promoted and facilitated advisor training and professional development. Aaron has been an active member of NACADA, the Global Community for Academic Advising, for more than a decade and currently serves on the NACADA Board of Directors as president. Hey, her presentations, invited talks, and publications have focused on the role of creativity in teaching, the professional identity of academic advisors, workplace culture, and mentorship. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you, Matt. Colm, thanks for having me. Delighted to have you join us as we celebrate the Global Advising Week and Nakata's 40th birthday. I suppose, um, like, you know, everybody, I imagine you are um, dealing with the COVID-19 situation. So um, how are things at your institution and, and what, what's it looking like uh, for the, the summer and, and maybe the fall? Or have you guys any idea of what it looks like as yet? Yeah, I mean, I think we're holding up pretty well. Um, you know, I'm at a graduate and professional school right now, and um, the transition to online has gone pretty smoothly. Of course, we've got some situations where people are in clinicals or um, internships and things of that nature that can't be um, always 100% done online. And so we're handling those situations. Those students may have to finish a little later on than they wanted to, um, but we'll get them all graduated this spring. And it, it looks like we're, we're going to stay online um, for the summer, um, hopefully with uh, a lot of things that we've learned between now and then um, as far as the hiccups that have occurred and grow from that. And uh, for fall, we're still we're still thinking about that and how that's going to look. Um, again, we do have students that are out actually on the front lines fighting um, COVID. And so there's a real need to continue to graduate the types of students that we work with um, and get them into the workforce. So um, everybody's, of course, pulled together um, in amazing ways. I'm not sure on your campuses, you all have stories of the ways people are collaborating and, and being inventive. And um, I mean, that's pretty refreshing to watch. Yeah, I think creative is probably the right word. I think like we've all like adapted at such a, a fast rate in terms of to help out our students, to make sure there's resources available. I mean, we're learning new things we never thought we'd learn. So new skills. And it, and it's it's been pretty amazing to watch that, you know, when 
we're up against the wall. We make things happen. Yeah. We may be fatigued, but we never stop. <laughs> and then with it being uh, Nakata's you know, 40th birthday that we're celebrating the Global Advising Week, what does that mean to you? Man, it's it's kind of surreal, right, to think about 40 years. Um, I've been involved, I don't know, decade and a half or something at this point. And um, just to think about where we've come from and where we're going. Um, and again, COVID throwing a little hiccup into even how that looks, right? Our future even there is going to need to be re-envisioned. But it's really exciting to see that we're, you know, having this global week and really celebrating the profession. It's been a long time coming. So as a field, we've kind of starting to grow into ourselves, I think, and get, you know, research and scholarship and um, practice kind of all wrapped up in a nice um, profession. And, and, and we get to celebrate that and thank advisors, especially during this time of, you know, exhaustion and, and challenge and, and all their agility and um, really get a chance to highlight their work. Yeah, I, exactly. I think that's it. I mean, everybody is dealing with new and unique challenges. Um, I say I, I've been working in higher ed for 15 years now, and I usually say I'm I'm never shocked, but frequently surprised. And uh, I think that uh, is definitely the case in these times. Now, Matt read a really interesting bio uh, of yours, Aaron, and I think it would be interesting for listeners to maybe if you could talk us through the, your journey into advising and, you know, uh, what, how, how did it begin? What was, what was it that sparked the interest, I suppose, in advising for you? Sure. So I think like many of us, or at least more so when, even when I was getting, um, into higher ed, I fell into it. Um, I finished graduate school and, um, needed a job and there just happened to be an opening. Um, for me, I actually started, advising um, in disability services. And so that's where I spent 10 years of my career was working with students um, one-on-one in a center for students specifically with learning disabilities and ADHD, um, which was amazing. I mean, we got to spend 30 minutes at least with every student every week. And I mean, most advisors in a traditional role, um, especially at a big school, um, like I was at Texas Tech University, uh, just does not happen. And so it was such a gift to be able to advise those students in that manner. Um, so I kind of laugh. Sometimes people um, are shocked to find out I was never a real advisor, uh, <laughs> real in quotes, of course, um, in the sense that I wasn't in an academic program um, and I never served in that capacity. So from um, disability services, I moved on to the experiential learning aspect of um, our university and um, since then, I've you know moved on to be uh, an assistant provost for student affairs. But within the time that I was uh, kind of growing in my career, and um, very quickly in my very first year on the job, I got involved with Nakata. I had a colleague that let me know about it, and we went to conference, which I think is how a lot of people get into Nakata. Right? They come to a conference and they're like, "Oh my goodness, that's what this is!" And so mm-hmm. that was my experience. And I mean, from the moment I started, I you know was volunteering and getting involved. It's just my nature. Um, but that's when I sort of got into the niche of really caring about the identity of advisors, especially since mine was often questioned, right, that I wasn't really an advisor. Um, I, I really got really intrigued by what does it mean um, to be in this profession? What is our identity in this profession? And how do we grow as professionals and as a profession? And so that's kind of been the, the track that's run throughout my entire um, career, both on my campus and within Nakata. So I'm kind of a odd duck, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were mentioning there that uh, once you got into 
into Nakata in the conferences, you were volunteering because, you know, by nature, you, you do that. And I will say that with Colin and I, our experience, we've we've asked you to volunteer to help out with some things, uh, some projects that we've worked on, and you've, you've been on it, you know. So um, you helped us out with our uh, toilet paper challenge video, which we appreciate. Um, you also got some of your staff involved in one of the music videos that we did, uh, which that was one of my favorite parts of the video, I will say. <laughs> Um, and then I, I will say, if we go into the first time, I think I want to say the first time we met was at the Louisville conference. I could be wrong. Uh, when we were interviewing Megumi, um, I was halfway through talking about how I first met her. And then I realized that that's not when I first met her. I met her like two years before. So I think it was Louisville. Yes. Am I correct? I think in, that's in that? right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Colin knows the story because he was part, he was in it, but he doesn't know the reason why. Uh, so we were at the Global Lounge and we were recording a lot of different Nakata members asking them what Nakata means to them. And then I think you were at a table with uh, Matt and Mavash and you were um, working on a puzzle uh, at the Global Lounge. But I was too nervous to ask you to be in the video um, (laughs) for two reasons. One was, I was like, that's the Nakata president. Like, I'm already nervous as it is. And then two, like you all, all three of you were so focused on that puzzle. I was like, I don't want to interrupt. So I was like, how can I, I really, I think she'll be great in this video. Um, She'll probably have a really great answer. So I start acting like I'm busy putting some camera equipment away. And then I go, oh, hey, Colm, can you, uh, do you think Aaron will be great in the video? And he's like, yeah, you want me to go ask? I was like, oh, yeah, because, you know, I'm busy doing this. And so that's why he wouldn't ask you. So, that, so put the Irish man up to it, is it? That's so funny. And, you know, lest anyone think the Nakata president was only working on a puzzle that conference, that was really great that that was there and, and let, allowed us to interact right with our international um, or our non-U.S. Um, members and it was so it was so connecting that that moment in there um and i'm actually this is much better for me i know i can see you right now um but i'm much better uh when there's not a video camera pointed at my face and so i was pretty mortified when you walked up and uh, i think i tried to get out of it but you were persistent so (laughs) i appreciate that i'm definitely (laughs) persistent yes But that Global Lounge was was a, such a great idea. Like there was so much traffic in in the Global Lounge, so much um, engagement with with members, and a lot of people were bringing snacks too, which was really nice. The food was great. Yeah, it was really cool. Shout out to Rhonda. Oh, yeah, Rhonda Baker. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Rhonda. <laughs> I think they're going to keep the puzzle idea too. So, um, Aaron, I suppose one of the the things, and there are myriad things we could probably talk about, um, but in the the role of uh, of Nakata president. And uh, what what does that mean? I mean, why wh- I suppose for, you know, M- Matt's talked about there about, you know, you see the Nakata president and oh, should I go talk? Well, wh- what do- what does that mean on, on a, for you in terms of work? Wh- what has the, the role, what does it involve? Sure. So I think it's a little bit different, actually, than people think. Even serving on the board, I think, is a little bit different than people imagine it, um, especially if they're comparing it with other associations. Um, because Nakata does have an executive office that's, that staffs um, the association, and uh, um, that makes our role just a little bit different. So our role is very much um, in an advisory and a strategic kind of sense. And so the the people who are running Nakata, for all intents and purposes, um, is the executive office. You know, they're the ones who, you know, they're keeping the books and they're, <laughs> they're putting together all the resources and, 
you know, dealing with the website and things of that nature. So that's really not our role, right? So um, a lot of being the president specifically is um, just overseeing the meetings of the board. So I'm, I'm a president, but I'm a among peers on the board. So I'm not, my vote doesn't count more than anybody else's. And I've tried really hard to push that this year to get people, you know, it's not the Aaron show, right? It's um, all of us in that room. And so we get together once a month, um, at least for a board meeting and discuss strategic priorities, strategic goals, the, you know, right now we're even looking, we're looking at the mission and the vision, really high level um, aspects of the association. So I think a lot of times, um, even as board members, when they're new, and even now as president, sometimes we feel like we're not doing things. And um, it's hard to step back and say, no, we're, we're not supposed to be doing the things, right? That's what that's why we have committees and councils and advising communities and, and all of that, we're really supposed to be there to guide and give input and, um, and be the voice of for members who um, do bring things to us. And so president is actually much less work than being on the council. So if you, if you run by some council members, <laughs> give them some love. <laughs> and, you know, you talked about, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a team effort in a way. Um, and when you think of Nakata and, you know, we, we've heard from you before in the video about what Nakata means to you. Are there any memories that stick out for you in terms of whether it's like best conference takeaways or, you know, a good time, favorite time that you had with, with, with Nakata members? Yeah, absolutely. Always when I'm presenting and I don't, you know, do that as much as I, I, I used to, but when I used to do presentations on professional identity and watching the room just light up at the concept of that back when I st first started doing it, it was such a new way to think about themselves and they never had given themselves space to stop and kind of ponder themselves, especially during a conference when they're trying to learn skills to help students. And so some of those, you know, moments where you've got a hundred people in a room and you just feel that energy and the excitement around that, that's, that's everything to me in Nakata. Um, and what I will always keep is my most favorite thing. Um, I've always, of course got some other stories, you know, I don't, I think I've shared this so broadly, people may already know it, but um, I, when I was younger in my Nakata career, I happened upon a group dinner in Branson, Missouri at a regional conference. And um, I'm sort of like, I'm very extroverted, but I, as far as friends and who I'll like go eat with, I'm a little bit more nervous about people I don't know. <laughs> and so um, my friend, Rebecca Daly Kofer was like, let's just sign up for a dinner. And so we show up and there was only two women there. And, um, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And so I was real nervous about going and we went and it ended up being um, the president at the time, Jenny Bloom and her mother, um, unbeknownst mm -hmm. to us. And it, it that was just a special time. We got to meet and learn about her family and her as a real person. And, you know, Nakata is such that, like, if you get down and sit with people, yes, we're all colleagues and yes, we want to learn skills and all of that, but it, we really are. Um, we care about each other as humans and, um, because of our natural advisor role, you know, we want to know about each other as humans. And so that, that was such a fun memory. And I, we laugh about it all the time. You know, I, I tend to like to hang out with a younger crowd. And so I was like, I said, man, I almost didn't go just because of the age discrepancy and how jerky of me was that. And then I got to meet Jenny Bloom and her mom, who we still I mean, keep in touch to this day. So. Aaron, you talked there about advisors and our interests, you know, in people as humans. And I think that's very true. You mentioned your own interest in professional identity. I think Matt spoke in your bio around your interest in creativity. So three really interesting things there. Um, and I suppose if, if for listeners, for people who are maybe 
you know, newer to advising or starting out or, or moving into advising from other parts or, or even just interested in the area, what would you would you have advice to to people about, you know, what the way in which maybe you you've approached advising or, or how they can best go about things? For those folks who are interested in, in, in the field and aren't yet in it, I think um, Nakata is the perfect um, tool to help them with that. Both the resources that are online and the publications, you know, if they can become a member and, and get the academic advising today that's in their inbox and the journals and things of that nature, that's a great place to start. But also, um, you know, we've got social media and all these different listservs and networks that they can plug into even before they were in the career. And I think that is um, an amazing resource for somebody who really is being thoughtful about this and wants to enter this as a career. Um, and really not all that different, I guess, for those of us who land into it. Um, same thing, you know, much like students, there's so much available to us um, in the association and in the profession, and it can be very overwhelming. Um, so I always suggest that people, um, if, you, if you have the opportunity to go to an event, um, 100% volunteering, I think is the best way to kind of get your feet wet and get um, small in there, especially if you moderate sessions, you know, you can go in there and hear what people are talking about and get connected that way to um, people who are more maybe experts in the field that are there presenting. Um, but if you're not going into an event, same thing, right? We've got... Um, committees and advising, uh, advising community groups that they can plug into. Even when you join, right, they, I don't, a lot of people don't realize that's what they're doing when they join and they click the four, you know, affinity groups um, is that they're joining these advising communities. And those I think are the easiest way um, to get plugged into Nakata. Um, they're broken down into kind of smaller groups in most of the, most cases. And um, there's always work to do. People are always really excited about the topics that are near and dear to their heart. Um, so volunteering um, in those groups or even just attending the meetings again to get a grasp of kind of the pulse of our of our profession um, and then you know depending on who you are you know some people want to get 100% feet jump in and get involved in 65 things and that's kind of my nature that's kind of where I was I'm a dabbler and did that but it's also okay if that's not who you are and you just want to just learn and be a sponge or you only want to write or you only want to present. Um, I think a lot of times we can maybe scare people a little bit when we say like, there's a thousand ways to get involved and you should do all of them. Um, and that's not our intent. We're just trying to make sure you know that there's niches there that you can figure out. But I think sometimes it's like the fire hose at orientation and they're like, oh my gosh, these people may be a little extra for me. <laughs> We're just trying to make sure that everybody knows that there's a space for them. So again, much like our students, um, Oscar on the board um, currently, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. I'm sorry. Um, I need that phonetically, but he um, keeps talking about this idea of advise the advisor. And I think we're really going to push forward with that um, in the next year or so. And that concept of how do we better um, advise advisors through their careers, but also within the association. Oh yeah, and I just feel like there's something for everyone in Nakata. Yes. Like, and if it's not there, someone's going to think of it at some point. And a lot of times too, and Megumi was talking about this in her interview. It's like just ask. You know, if you just go and ask, or you you throw in an idea, someone might ask you to do it. But um, you know, there's probably a group or someone that you can be connected with in Nakata. I can agree though, in terms of sometimes it can feel overwhelming because um, it's like, yeah, there's so much you want to be able to tell a new member about what Nakata can offer. 
And the listserv uh, that you mentioned, um, that's how I got involved in the the PDR, the Probation Dismissal Reinstatement uh, Steering Committee, is because there was an email that got sent said, hey, we have an opening for a st- for the steering committee. Send us your, your info if you're interested. And then, bam, there you go. Um, how about this for, for new members? If uh, Or those in Nakata that are you know, maybe trying to get you know, funding to attend a conference, which hopefully it's we can go to the annual one or, you know, future conferences or to maybe purchase uh, the webinar registration. What advice can you give um, to someone that's trying to maybe talk to their supervisor about telling them the benefits of Nakata? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've always been really lucky in that regard, actually. I've had a lot of great institutional support, but I've, you know, known a lot of others who um, are not so lucky. And I think a lot of us are going to be facing that in the next um, year, if not more. And I'm sure there's going to be um, decreased budgets for travel and professional development. Um, So I think it's really just about showing the value of of the things you want to participate in in a very direct way. So, you know, not just like, oh, this is good professional development for me or I, but really relating it back to what I'm going to learn and how that's going to make us more efficient or more effective on campus with students um, and making that really explicit. And, um, you know, again, I would tell people not to be afraid to reach out. um, If, you know, I, I guarantee you, if you email me or Charlie Nutt and you need us to put some language together to explain why this is so important, we'll we'll wordsmith that with you. We'll we'll put something together for you. So um, to, to lean on others as far as that goes, too. But I do think um, a lot of it is just uh, really being specific. You know, administrators don't always understand what advisors do um, in a real, real, you know, individual way. Like they just have this vague understanding of it. And so if we can really use the resources, I think, again, there's stuff on the website at Nakata that you could even, you know, print off and hand to them to show them um, the value in the membership or the value in an event or an online webinar or something like that. And to sell it as a campus-wide thing, you know, if I go to the conference, I can come back and I can train however many other advisors on what I've learned, or I can, um, you know, purchase this webinar and anybody on our campus can watch it, right? It's not just for me um, and really selling kind of the bigger impact. Um, Those would be the main things I could think of offhand. I think it's really interesting because we were talking to Charlie Mm -hmm. last night and what's fascinating is how you both had wonderfully practical things that advisors can take. So um, while there is all of the theory within NACADA and within advising and, and that exists and, you know, that that is what um, we see going on at, at K-State and um, we talked to, to Craig in a, in a previous episode around that. But it's great to, I think, for listeners to have it broken down into practical examples that they can take to their, um, you know, uh, maybe administrators on, on, on campus to say, okay, if if you if I can get the funding to go to this conference or this event, this is the tangible benefits uh, you will get out of it, of it. And I think that is one of the the great things about Nakata is that accessibility. Um, it's not just theory; it's not inaccessible. It's easy for people to to get in and to to get the building blocks and to to then you know get up to the theory. Right. Yeah. It takes all of us. Right. I'm much more of a practitioner 
um, and a, a doer and a presenter type person. I leave that research to the Craig McGill's and <laughs> like, like you mentioned, and um, I'm so glad it's happening and I, I, I read it, but I'm, that is not my nature or my desire. And so it takes, you know, we need scholars and practitioners and scholar practitioners both. Right. So, yep. It takes all of us. <laughs> and just shifting gears slightly to, um, your your institution and particularly your department, um, I just kind of want to shout out stuff that you do in your office with your staff. It almost seems like on Facebook, I'll see you post and it'll be you have a theme that you do like it seems like once a week and you involve your staff in it and they seem pretty excited about it. Um, how did that all come about in, in terms of doing these themes and involving involving your staff? Yeah, so for a long time, um I guess as a, as a leader, I would say uh, culture is very important to me. Um, and I think culture is often um, neglected uh, in, in offices and institutions. Um, and so that's always kind of been a thing for me. We have an, you know, a culture document that we talk about when people are hired. And um, the staff challenges, I don't even remember how that first started, but it started when I was still um, overseeing the experiential learning program at Texas Tech University. And um maybe when I was brand new and I don't, I don't remember why <laughs> I just remember thinking it was a way for us to kind of learn about each other and break, you know, have some fun and lighten up during stressful times. And so without fail, I mean, almost without fail, I probably skipped a couple of weeks, but um, without fail for like six years, I've had a Friday staff challenge um, with uh, my direct reports. And so sometimes it's a brain, um, puzzle kind of thing. Sometimes it's something physical, something, you know, it could be, I don't know, anything. I mean, tic-tac-toe for that matter. <laughs> We've done hula hooping. <laughs> um, it's usually something that just takes a few minutes, right? So I know some people will be like, well, we don't have time for that. Or you know, their supervisors might think that that's silly or something. Luckily, my supervisors have never, um, they saw the value in it. Um, but it's just a few minutes and it just really does build that camaraderie. And then the themes really just started um, since COVID. <laughs> Um, since the pandemic. And so we're at home and we're not interacting. And I, I'm the most extreme extrovert that there exists. And so this is hard, hard, hard. Like it's so good to see all faces on a screen even. Um, but it's hard for me not to be in a room full of people, especially um, my colleagues um, that I have so much fun with. And so Mondays, we get the whole division together on a call and not everybody has the technology to have a camera um, at their houses right now. But those that do, um, we do Zoom backgrounds with the theme and some of us dress up. It just depends on how how far we want to go. So this coming week, we're actually doing birthday theme because we have six birthdays this month. And so it's, you just need a little levity. Um, and I, you know, I studied creativity. My, my dissertation was on creativity and teaching or teaching for creativity, I should say. Um, and I'm fascinated by humans and, and creative humans, especially, and I'm not overly creative myself. Um, I'm much more of a, again, practical kind of down to earth person, but I'm just fascinated by it. And, um, I try to borrow, steal <laughs> other ideas and just try to input things to kind of break things up. You know, we're all dealing with zoom meetings all day, every day, but at least one can have a Western theme, right? <laughs> <laughs> or like one of the ones you just had, the Star Wars theme. Yeah, absolutely. Which was very fitting because when this gets posted, it'll be on May the 4th. Yeah, May the 4th be with you. That's actually my birthday, which is why we went with the birthday theme that week, that week instead of the Star Wars. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, which would be Brella Honigwit in Irish. Very nice. Yeah, my Irish uh, first name, but not not Irish at all. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I think we had a couple of questions that may have come in for you, Aaron. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, there are some questions that, that we'd like to ask. Uh, so this one actually comes from uh, Vanessa Chong from University of Hawaii at Manoa. And Vanessa asks, uh, might uh, you share your observations uh, of the student experience over the years? So what do our undergraduates find most important and maybe most challenging in terms of their academic, professional and personal goals? Um, so I would probably uh, maybe phrase in terms of not just undergraduates, but maybe graduate students as well. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so many things um, you could talk about with that. Um, and I guess depending on how far back you look, right? Um, I don't know. I think students are always students. Um, humans are always humans. Um, we always ha kind of have some shared things that happen to us no matter where we are in life when we come to this kind of academic pursuit. But some of the th things I think that are probably unique about um, now versus in the past, um, definitely I think we've done a better job of um, diversifying our student populations and serving um, more students. Um, certainly when I started in, in college in 1995, it was, it was, it was pretty um, homogenous. Um, and I think our institutions definitely um, in all ways, right. We've got um, as far as race and ethnicity, as far as age um, experiences, backgrounds that people bring with them, you know, people coming back from military service, um, just, I think a much more diverse student body, which is um, brings so many great things um, to the work we do and, and really, you know, enriches class discussions and, and all of that. But it does also present um, extra challenges, right? Especially if you're talking about, you know, the students that I work with, professional and graduate students oftentimes have family um, and jobs on top of school. And so balancing, I think, is a big theme um, that we're seeing students really have to grapple with um, in this digital age, especially there's so much bombarding them um, from all sides all the time. And you think about your email, even right now, um, it's even amped up even more. And so I think um, that's a new challenge for students is how do I balance all these things, not only time-wise, but mentally and physically and emotionally, the, the, the kind of strain that that can put on people as they try to figure out how to navigate um, all those different things. I think we're seeing more and more students um, reach out for help with um, for mental um, health. You know, not that students prior to that may have had any better mental health. We don't really know that. But what we do know is more students are reaching out and saying, hey, I need I need more support here. So I think that's another challenge. As far as what they think is important, you know, it's probably individual to the student. I mean, I mean, I hesitate to even generalize here, but I'll throw some things out. <laughs> I think people still want to get a job. <laughs> I think people still need to, to make a living. And so that's obviously still a big push for students. They want to do well and get out so that they can and make money for either just themselves or, or family um, that they have to support. Um, but I think this last couple of generations more than ever maybe also really want to be fulfilled and they want to make a difference. Not to say again, those of us before didn't, but there just seems to be a much more, like I think about even my own um, two older kids who are in college right now. And if they don't see a point to it, it's really hard for them to stay motivated. Right. So they, they want to know why they want to understand why am I setting this? How does that impact what I'm going to do in the future? Um, so I think that's really important for this um, group of students right now. Definitely. And so another question that came in, and you, you kind of touched upon like a lot of the benefits uh, for Nakata or how um, advisors can maybe 
talk to their their supervisors and you know for professional development that sort of thing but as an educator someone new to nakata and you know you're talking about the thousand different things that nakata offers they ask how can i find my footing in starting out in the association yeah i'm going to go back to volunteer um and i know sometimes people think well i can't volunteer until i know what i'm doing but i don't i don't think that's true with nakata i think that's how you figure out what you're doing in many ways so again if the i think volunteering at a, a event is great um but there's a multitude of ways to get involved beyond that i think one of the favorite things i've done um and this is the first year i hadn't done it i think since i first started is reviewing proposals um, again, really gives you a chance to see everything that's out there. Um, sometimes it's related to a theme. Sometimes you get kind of just a gamut of things. And so that's a really good way that you can, from your house, you know, um, get involved in there. But again, just bits and pieces. So start somewhere, see what you like, um, get on and sign up for those, you know, for um, advising communities, certainly, but you don't have to stick to those, you know, the list serves, you can go on and, and join as many of those as you want. Also, there's the social media pages, you know, I don't know of a single advising community that's going to be like, nope, you are not a member. So you cannot join this Facebook page, they, they're going to bring you in, and, and you're going to start learning right away, um, both kind of more about the field, but also what it means to be in Nakata and be active. Yeah, take a tour of the website. Just really, there's some great pages on there that really show the the structure of the association and and what what is the board, what is the council, what are these things that we call the admin division. You know, with the advising communities are regions. Um, it really kind of does break it down really well. But you've got to get in there and really um, play around and find that information. Um, but while we're at home and uh, maybe not traveling to conferences, that we maybe could spend some more time on that. Um, and then, like, you know, I think you mentioned that Megumi suggested just put yourself out there, ask a question. Um, not everybody's comfortable doing that, of course. Um, but if you are, it's sort of like we tell our, our students to not be frightened to go talk to their professors, right? Nakata members, I mean, I, I, you'd be hard pressed to find a, a member who's not going to, you know, take you under their wing and, and help you find whatever kind of aspect you're looking for. So um, really suggest that and maybe even find either a, a mentor that's kind of informal or formal or even a peer mentor to kind of help you walk find your path or if you get nervous if you have a good friend in nakata you can ask them to go ask someone and then they'll do it <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right everybody needs to call them by their side erin uh, um thank you i think this that was really inspiring and i think it what has been fascinating is so we talked to megumi we talked to charlie and um, we talked to yourself over the last couple of days and Nakata's in great hands. Um, where, where, Megumi is going to be incoming. I suppose you're, you're outgoing, but still plenty of time left. And Charlie is uh, in, in his position. But the, the wealth of knowledge, uh, of experience, but more so the, the generosity and big heartedness of the all three of you, I think has shone through. And, you know, I, as I was listening to you there, I was excited about, you know, get, getting involved. I mean, when you said you don't have to know what you're doing, uh, we talked in the interview in Charlie last night. The way I got involved was I saw Charlie sitting on the ground packing a ba packing bags uh, in Dublin at the international conference. And I just said, hey, do you want a hand with that? I sat down and started packing bags. I didn't know anything about it. So I think, yeah, it, I think that's great advice. I think what, whatever way you can find to, to get involved, just 
take advantage of it and you never know where it's going to lead you. That's for sure. Hashtag truth right there. Facts. (laughs) Because you're mentioning just go on the website even. And so for me, like when I was talking with my supervisor, he I had already gone to conferences before I, I had presented. And at the moment, I thought that was you know, all we did was if you had with your membership, it's like, oh, you can just you go to conferences, you get a discount, and then you can learn things at conferences, bring these back to the institution, network, which are great things. But he was like, well, you know, you've you've done that a few times. Is there anything else that Nakata offers? And I said, actually, I don't know. So I went on the website and then found a lot of different resources that were that were offered, you know, finding articles and blog posts and the one great thing just by doing that was the Emerging Leaders Program. I would never have known about it. I mean, I probably would have got emails about it eventually, but I didn't really know what that program was. And then I looked into it and I asked my boss, hey, what about this? And he said, sounds good. Go ahead and apply for it, which is probably one of the best decisions I ever did. And you also were in the Emerging Leaders Program, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Both as a leader and as a mentor. Yeah. Nice. And that actually leads right into um, one of our last two questions that we have for you. So this one is actually about the Emerging Leaders Program. Uh, So this person says, I'm interested in the Emerging Leaders Program. I understand from the website, there is a two-year commitment involved. But are are you able to approximate, like in your experience, um, maybe this can be both as a someone that's interested in being a leader or a mentor, how much time um, was involved maybe per month uh, for this program? Yeah. So for me, um, kind of both as a leader and a mentor, I mean, it's, it's going to be so individual based on who you are as a person and what you set as your goals. So each um, person who comes in as an emerging leader, um, who is the mentee um, in this, you know, model, although, it's much more parallel than that. It's, it's much less hierarchical, hierarchical. Wow. I can't speak apparently. Um, but anyway, um, I think it just depends. So for me, I would say you for sure always want to at least, um, interact with your, your partner at least once a month. Um, both times with, um, my leader. And when I, when I was a leader and when I was a mentor, um, we just scheduled a monthly call. Um, we did schedule it. I think if you don't schedule it, life's going to get in the way and you won't have it. So once a month, I mean, that doesn't seem like um, that much or maybe enough, but it really is kind of a good amount. I mean, life goes pretty fast and that month gives you a chance to have enough to talk about and, and check in and um, but also not um, have so many uh, obligations, of course, throughout the time in between there, you're emailing and or IMing or, you know, sending text messages. But proper meetings, I would say you you have that meeting with your person. And then luckily now, you know, with the Zoom format, we have the whole cohort cohort gets together and, and has meetings as well, which has been so beneficial. Um, back when I first started, you know, we got to know the cohort when we were in person, but we didn't get to have that Zoom aspect. And that really changes the ball game. And you get to you get to benefit from every single pairing, you know, so some group might be working on research, and you might be working on something else. And, and you get to benefit from that, too. So mm-hmm. it's not the most time consuming thing um, I've ever done, for sure. And Nakata, um, it, you can frame it how you need it to be, even if you say, you know, 
this is the month where my advising just does not allow for me to even come close to having an online phone conversation with you, then, then skip that month and just, you know, work on your goals and as you can, and then maybe meet more when you're, you're slow time. So it's, it's, it's very flexible. Um, and, and the two pair, you know, part of the speed dating that they do to, to match people up is kind of talk about communication styles and how, you know, how all that would work. And, and you set that as a group. And so it's, it's really whatever you make it. 100% agree with that. I know for Leah and I, we would meet once a month through Zoom. And then during busy times, we may just be a text message or a quick phone call. But we're we're very structured people. Uh, so we were like, we need let's plan in advance each month. Um, and it's one of the things where I always was so excited as the days got closer to our Zoom meeting. Because I was like, oh, I get to talk with Leah and tell her, you know, all the things that I've done, you know, over this last month or even if nothing happened, then we could just chat about life. And, you know, and even when you get paired up, even after the program's done, like you still have this lasting relationship, not only with like your mentor or your mentee, but the whole cohort. Absolutely. And so our last question, this one comes from Dewan Jackson from the uh, California State University Chancellor's Office. And she asks, how can academic advisors support underserved, underrepresented students to ensure they succeed and thrive in this new online learning environment. Wow, yeah, that's that's a big one. <laughs> Thank you, Duan, for that question. Yeah, that's 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 um, a great question. Um, I mean, I think we know that um, in times like this in a pandemic, that um, some people are going to be more impacted than others, right, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but if we're talking about students who are um, underserved in general than when, when you talk about having to go kind of into a format that requires maybe more resources at your house that maybe you didn't have to have access to prior. So if you think about, you know, if I come to in-class instruction, I may not have to have internet access or, you know, computer or a, even a camera or things like that. So um, I think one of the biggest things we have to do as advisors is, um, really reach out much more proactively and aggressively, maybe even, you know, because you think about our traditional forms of reaching out to students. If we're not in person, then we're sending an email, right? Or we're putting things on a website. Well, if if we're talking about somebody who doesn't have those resources, then we're not connecting with them. And so we have to think about what other modalities, you know, if we're not hearing from a student or a student, you know, maybe we've got an early alert system and there's something going on there and we need to reach out, we may have to do it with a phone call, you know. Um, thinking about those aspects of students' lives that may keep them from being successful. And I think it's just um, offering ourselves, but also um, referrals and resources. So obviously there's, you know, financial resources that are coming out of federal governments and state governments that students are going to be able to apply for, making sure that these students know about those things, that they can be supported, you know, if they've lost their job or if they do need um, computer equipment, um, the hotspot, whatever it is, making sure um, that we refer them. Again, mental health counseling, I think, is going to be big during all of this. Um, I know on my campus, they're doing support groups um, online um, to support students who are balancing all these normal things on top of uh, a pandemic. Um, I think we have to simplify, too, in what we expect from students and try to simplify our messaging. Um, I was looking um, on the website I have a puppy that is making noise. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> 
<laughs> like, um, now I want to see the puppy. <laughs> yeah, she's super cute. I could show her in a minute. Um, but, you know, through all of this, Nakata has created a website to support advisors. And there's a lot of great stuff there. So I um, implore you to go look at that. Um, but one of the things on there I was noticing um, came from Cynthia Pascal. And I think she's at Northern Virginia community college that she was talking about how the communications that we have and how we have to be, I think she said kind, clear, and concise. And I think that is perfect. I mean, I think about all the emails I'm getting and how overwhelming it is. And if I'm a student, um, again, I've got kids here trying to navigate classes that have gone online and, and they're, you know, they've got me here to help them even, and not everybody does, but we've got to just be super clear and concise and, and try not to muddle things. Um, but I don't think our role has changed that much as advisors. I mean, we just have to be much more um, proactive and make sure that if we don't hear from people, we we think about the reasons why that might be during something like this um, and just really um, communicate our compassion and our flexibility um, for students. You said earlier that uh, you're not that creative, but I think you've demonstrated throughout this interview that you do think creatively, consistently. So I, I, I think you might need to reassess. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, like I said, I try to bring those people into my fold so that I can absorb their 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 smarts. <laughs> well, then the osmosis is working. So I, I, I think that was a, a, a kind of a really great answer. And, you know, thinking in creative ways and outside of the box and outside of traditional linear ways. So thank you for sharing that. And I think listeners will really appreciate and learn from it. Well, that was all our listener questions. And I've had a fantastic time uh, listening to um, your advice, your stories. And um, sorry, I didn't ask you (laughs) personally in in Louisville to uh, be part of the video, but now I don't feel as nervous now. (laughs) Well, you might still have trouble getting me to say yes to a video. (laughs) If I have friends, you know, the music video is different. I had colleagues are surrounding me. And so I feel a little more comfortable being silly or being myself. I don't know why I clam up if a video is pointed, the camera is pointed at me, but something to work on, I suppose. (laughs) Sure, definitely. And so, yeah, if it's music videos, we'll we'll make it happen. But Aaron, thank you so much for being part of the podcast and being part of this Global Advising Week and doing everything that you do in Nakata. And, you know, fingers crossed, annual conference happens. It's going to be great to to see you in person again. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to Puerto Rico. So I, I really need that to, to come to fruition. <laughs> thank you. all Look for the good in everything. Mm-hmm. Look for the people who will set your soul. Been wonderful, amazing that we are on episode 10 already. And we have lots more in this episode, but also lots more planned for the future. So we won't be taking a break over the summer, listeners. There will be plenty more coming your way. And right now, we have the third in our series of four questions. This time, we were asking advisors how Nakata has benefited them professionally. Yeah, so this is a great way to kind of segue in from Aaron's interview going into this. And this one we have Wendy Schindler, Chantalia Johns, Kevin Thomas, JP Villavicencio, and Cynthia Pascal. Hi, my name is Wendy Schindler, and I've been a member of Nakata for about 10 years. 
initially when I joined, I was really looking for resources. I wanted to be able to access the journal. I learned more about academic advising today. I attended conferences, regional and annual. I participated in webinars and just looked for any kind of professional development that I, I could consume that would make me a better advisor. And the more I did that, the more I uh, received quality professional development, the more I wanted to give back. And so then I began presenting and now I've presented at many regional and annual conferences. And I'm currently co-authoring two chapters of an advising book that Nakata will be putting out next year, which is a tremendous opportunity I would not have had without being a member of Nakata. Um, and I've also been able to step into leadership roles, which has really fostered a lot of growth in me and has helped me in my career at my home institution. And I can't say enough about the opportunities I've had because of that. I've been mentored. I have just really gained so much uh, from the people I've met in Nakata. And really, I'd say that's Nakata's biggest strength are the people, the members that make Nakata what it is. Nakata is global. And so I know that I have colleagues around the world that I could call on if I have a question, an issue, if I want to know what they're doing at their institutions or best practices. I have people around the world that I can reach out to. And that has just been such a tremendous benefit of being a member of Nakata. My first introduction to Nakata was at a Region 5 conference in Kalamazoo, Michigan in 2014. That was my first ever advising conference. I got a chance to serve as the photographer for that event. In 2016, I was selected to be part of the Emerging Leaders Program. As an emerging leader, I got a chance to really develop myself professionally by expanding my networks, presenting at local, regional, and international conferences, writing articles, and I was even able to hold several leadership positions. My experiences with Nakata has translated well to my professional growth at the Urban Research University where I work. For example, I have been able to contribute to the scholarship of academic advising on my campus, as well as bring back very helpful information related to ways to promote student success. There are these moments when you look at your professional career and you say, how did I get here? And attending the first annual conference of my professional career in Baltimore, Maryland uh, was that start. It was that time period in which I realized uh, that I didn't just have a job. I had a career, I had a profession, and I had a tremendous amount of colleagues that created a network that allowed me to be successful. And over my entire professional career, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of wonderful things, uh, be involved in the advising communities division, serve on the board, chair regional and annual conferences. Uh, and those are all wonderful things, but they impact my professional life so much. Uh, part of the reason I'm in the position I'm in now uh, as an AVP of Enrollment Management is because my mentee for the Emerging Leaders Program asked if I wanted to present at a conference with her. And so I'm presenting at that conference. We're talking about advising. We're, we're, we're talking about the benefits of what advising can, can do on a campus. And after that session, uh, my current boss comes up and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about a job. So when I say 
that my involvement in Nakata is life-changing. It's not just a statement, it's a truth. And, uh, and I'm blessed every day to have been a part of this association. It is really hard for me to quickly state how much Nakata has helped me professionally, as it has in multiple ways. However, there are two things that really stand out for me. The first is my network, or networking. Over the years, by attending various Nakata events, I've built a network of friends and colleagues from across the globe that I turn to if I have issues, questions, or just want a second opinion. These people I've met through annual, regional conferences, through Friends of Friends, and various other uh, ways have been super helpful and have challenged me, which has allowed me to grow within the profession. The second thing that kind of has helped me realize and find the spark that I had for the research and scholarship of academic advising. This has led me to pursue one of my dreams, which is to earn a doctorate degree. In fact, I found my research topic flipped academic advising after going to numerous concurrent sessions, talking to friends and colleagues, and even doing a research consultation appointment. Through these chance interactions, I am not sure I would have even pursued my doctorate degree, let alone have me be using my research right now to help my institution address the COVID-19 crisis. One of the things um, that Nakata has given me is a family of professionals. Um, on top of that family of professionals, though, it gave me my career. Um, Nakata helped me work through my master's degree, helped work through my doctorate, gave me resources like the clearinghouse, like the communities, like consulting, um, and really gave me just a group of people who I could lean on to support me in good times and in bad. As a result, um, not only did I start off with the job um, at a reasonable wage um, due to the professionalization of the uh, of of advising, but I've worked my way up and I'm now an interim AVP of student support. And this has given me an opportunity not just uh, to touch students' lives one-on-one, -on -one, but on a broader scale. And I truly could not have done that without the support of Nakata and Nakata leadership. So, we heard there how Nakata can benefit advisors professionally, wonderful examples. And I think the interview coming up next is with the virtuoso that is Nakata's executive director, Charlie Nutt. And in this interview, Charlie really offers a multitude of examples as to how Nakata really can benefit advisors and he breaks it down into really practical chunks. So I'm really excited about listeners getting the opportunity to hear from Charlie. He's a brilliant storyteller as well. And I think everyone is going to take a lot from this interview. All right, so next up we have Charlie Nutt. And Charlie, instead of reading your actual bio, the executive office decided they want to do a Mad Lib version. 
that we're going to read right now. So, of course, this is usually one of those party games where we substitute words in a paragraph or sentence, and we'll see if you like it. So, Charlie Nutt, the son of Lucille Ball and Brad Pitt, was born in Savannah, Georgia in 1956. In 1974, he had a job as an assistant in pizza delivery at Jekyll Island and attended Advising You. There, he began studying registration, teaching, and coaching. He developed the theory coaching relativity, which expanded the phenomena of subatomic syllabi and assessment pebble magnetism. In 1980, he won the Nobel Prize for speaking with a Southern drawl and was head honcho at Advising State University. In 2003, Nutt came to Smileyburg to take a post at Nakata, where his theories helped America devise the first unicycle. There is no question about it. Nut is one of the most brilliant hush puppies of our time. Charlie, welcome again to Adventures in Advising. Welcome, and I love that. And I do have to say that in high school, I did work at a pizza place on Jekyll Island, in reality. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Well, you can thank Bev Martin for this was her idea, and she got the rest of the executive office staff to join in and, and fill in this uh, Mad Lib bio for you. That sounds like Bev Martin. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are thrilled to, to have you on the, the podcast, and uh, I suppose the before we, we launch into uh, our uh, questions, uh, how are you getting on? Where, where for listeners, where are you uh, situated during the, the COVID-19 situation, Charlie? I was um, on St. Simon's Island, Georgia, which is where I'm from, and I have a home here. I was here for some other reasons when the virus hit. And so once they closed Kansas State University and said we all had to work from home, I thought I could work from Georgia just as easily as I could work from Kansas. So um, I've been here on St. Simon since February. Very good. And um, in in terms of uh, how are how are things in in Georgia? Are you guys uh, locked down like we are here in Dublin? As of this past Monday, um, due to some interesting political issues, um, you can get a tattoo or a massage or go to the gym and walk on a treadmill right beside somebody all day long in Georgia. So come on down, folks, and get your tattoo now. Well, if I can get a flight from uh, Dublin to uh, Atlanta, maybe uh, maybe I'll take you up on that, Charlie. I'll join you there, too. I've been thinking about getting a tattoo. Come on down. <laughs> so how are things in terms of, um, you know, we've had a lot of conference cancellations and it's I know it's been a bummer to a lot of a lot of members but I think for the most part everyone's pretty understandable at the situation mm -hmm. um, how are things looking right now if you're able to say in terms of future conferences at this point absolutely um, I do want to first say and agree with what you said Matt the members the leaders everyone was phenomenal during spring um, and and that was not easy on anybody you know, was it easy on the executive office? It wasn't easy on the members who wanted to go. And it certainly wasn't easy for folks like you who helped plan Region 9 and then was not able to do that. And I just want to publicly thank all the Nakata leaders, particularly the region conference chairs, the region chairs, the people who read proposals for hours and hours, the people who had submitted proposals and were eager to present. I just want to thank all of you because we know that this was not easy for anyone within that. Um, so all of our events up through um, July have either been canceled or rescheduled. 
Um, the International Conference, for example, um, is has been rescheduled to 221 in Athens, Greece. Our summer institutes to 221 um, in um, Erie, Pennsylvania. The other ones were canceled. Um, we are now planning gangbusters for Puerto Rico. We're still looking forward to seeing all of you in Puerto Rico and, and being there. Um, we had more proposals submitted than we've ever had before. Um, we've got a phenomenal um, array of presentations and keynote speakers and, and everything for, for Puerto Rico. So um, we're still definitely on track for that. Um, I think with that said, we are all realistic enough to know that we're all waiting day to day to hear what happens within our own little street and neighborhood, much less something this large. Um, but yes, right now we're still planning ahead. What we're telling folks, um, and I'll just say here, uh, for all of our region conferences and our international, we're the only association that gave 100% of people's registration fees um, in a refund. And so we will continue to do that. So don't hesitate to register for Puerto Rico. Um, because we will, if need be, if the worst case scenario, you will get your um, registration fees back. So you can assure your universities that they're not going to lose any money. The hotels will still accept cancellations um, because we will, of course, make any decision in time for that. And then the only thing we're recommending folks do is they maybe don't always do flight insurance. For this conference, they may want to do flight insurance. But, you know, we've been very lucky so far. I've not heard from many of our people from our region conferences where the major airlines did not give them either a refund or at the least a, a 24 months or 12 months to use that ticket in any way. And so, really, that's that's where we are. We're, we're planning on it. It's going to be a great conference. Um, but if by chance... Just want folks to know, our members to know, and our, our um, advising professionals that your, your registrations will not be kept. Um, you will get those back, and we're ready to move forward. That's great to to hear, Charlie. And it's good that you know um, there the plans are for the the conference to go ahead. It gives us something to look forward to. But we also have something to, to celebrate right now, which is why we're chatting to you because it is the the celebration of the Global Advising Week. And maybe you could tell listeners a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, about probably a year ago, um, Bev Martin in the executive office and Don Krauss in the executive office came to me and said, you know, there's a there's a teacher appreciation day. There's a administrative assistant appreciation day, bosses day, all of those things. Why don't we have an advising day? And so because this was our 40th year anniversary of Nakata, we thought this would be a perfect year to put it into place. But as all of this has been occurring since some places February, the rest of us March, we felt like we needed a lot more to celebrate than just one day. And so that's why this has turned into a week-long celebration of academic advising. Um it is going to always be the first week in May. This is not a one-time event. The reason it is that week is our charter initially was signed on March the 2nd, um, 1979. So we thought it was perfect to do it that week to connect with that, um, within that. I'm very excited that we did want it to be global 
So for this year at least, UCAT, which is the United Kingdom Advising Association, um, is partnering with us on this, and they're doing activities at the same time. OVSA, which is the association in the Netherlands, is also a partner with this. We hope in 2021 there'll be other countries that want to partner with this and be a part of it. Um, because of, of having phenomenal members and leaders, um, we really wanted to make sure that we're inclusive and diverse so that it is not a Monday through Friday event. It's a Sunday through Saturday because we know in some of our uh, countries that the uh, work week or school week is Sunday through Thursday. Others go seven days a week. And so we wanted to be sure that it did not look U.S. centric or North American centric with just five days. And so we're going to celebrate advising for seven full days the first week in May forever and ever. But this is our first inaugural year. We're very, very excited about it. I mean, everybody, I think, knows that the name Charlie Nutt. I think most people are familiar uh, with 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 you. But um, I we didn't get a, a we, it was a very fun bio. But for those of people who maybe don't know you that well, how did you get involved in advising? I know folks, some folks see it as a, as a tagline or a PR move or whatever, but I truly do believe advising is teaching and advising is teaching and learning. And so I always, my entire life, have wanted to teach school. And that's just all I wanted to do was teach school. I planned to teach 10th grade English for 30 years and retire. I mean, that was just my goal to do. Um, And so the teaching is what I'm passionate about. And then um, I taught high school for about 14 years um, and then got an opportunity to go back to the the community college that I graduated from as an undergraduate um, many years earlier. In fact, uh, my advisor um, was um, the English department chair there, and she hired me back to come and teach English there. Um, and that's where I got into advising um, because I really had not, I mean, you know, in high school you advise a lot, but it's not called that. Um, but, you know, I was I was a faculty advisor. Um, but what I clearly didn't know was how to connect advising to teaching and learning because I was so busy scheduling. And I was so busy focusing on the, the policies and procedures. Um, I used all the ways to interact with students in the classroom. But when it came to that advising, it was just about building the schedule. That's all it was. Um, and so we had a, um, a, a, a Southern Association accreditation visit at my campus. And we had out of all the institution, we had 13 recommendations, and that's pretty good for an accreditation visit. Um, but 11 of those were in the areas of student support, and several were in the area of academic advising, particularly, because our advising was sketchy. It was limiting. It was um, not consistent in any way within that. And so for whatever reason, we had a new president, and I don't know how she even knew my name, but she called me into her office one day and said, I want you to fix advising. And I thought, okay, I'd probably need to find out what that is. Um, so I attended a Noel Levitt's conference in New York City on, on retention and student success in July of one year. I don't remember what year. And Betty Siegel, who was president at Kennesaw State University, was a keynote speaker. 
and she talked about academic advising and the connection between advising and student success. And it was phenomenal. She was in Georgia. I was from Georgia. So I went up afterwards to talk with her and said, you know, I, I really need some help. And she said, I want you to contact my associate vice president for student affairs, Dr. Nancy King. She knows everything about advising. And so I had a mission. I was told to fix advising. So I called this woman I didn't know from Adam and said, can I come up and visit with you? And Nancy is still one of my very good friends. And Nancy always says that she had no idea who I was and thought I was a crazy man by the time I left. Because I showed up, bless her heart. She had been up all night long because her husband's aunt had died. And I said, I'm so very sorry. That's horrible. Now I've got five questions. And I started into the questions. Well, I kept right on going. She, a little known to me, she called her best friend on campus and said, Joanne, come take me to lunch and get me away from this man. He won't leave my office. So she said, Charlie, I've got to go to lunch. I forgot. I said, no problem. I'll be right here when you get back. And I was right there when she got back. And she finally said that she recommended I get involved with Nakata because she had been. She said, I think mainly just to get you out of my hair and out of my office. And so that's how I found Nakata and found advising was through Nancy King. Lovely story there. And speaking of Nakata, I mean, you know, you talking about how you found yourself in Nakata. A lot of what's been talked about, I don't know, it just seems like maybe in the last year or so, maybe even longer. But Nakata family keeps being brought up. And, you know, even the hashtag. And I think people say you're the one that created this hashtag of Nakata family. Can you talk about in Nakata when at, was there at some point that you can think of that? Hey, this is Nakata is a family. And this this is this is why I really believe it's always been there um, from the moment we started. Um, mm. Y'all have interviewed Tom Greitz, and you've heard the story about how Nakata got started with a group of advisors who were in Burlington, Vermont, at an ACPA conference. And they said, you know, we ought to have an advising conference. Let's plan one. So they just kind of haphazardly planned one and thought they'd get 100 people. They had 400 people. Um, but because advisors are so connected to students, and uh, it's a relational experience it's a conceptual experience. By nature, we are all we are already people who connect with folks, and I think that's where folks get a little off track. Or I'm an introvert or an extrovert. Really, doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. If you're an advisor, you build relationships with people, and so I think that relationship building has always been a part of the association. Um, there were 40 charter members of the association initially. Those 40 up until many passed away and several have, or most have all retired. They always got together at every annual conference. They still went to dinner together. Um, Nancy King is still one of my very best friends. Um, quite frankly, all of my friends, quite except those I happen to go to school with here in Georgia, are all Nakata folks. And so I, I feel like it's always been there, Matt. I think the difference, I hope, is that it's harder to keep that family and that culture when you get so big. You know, when it's 500 people, or when it's 1,000 people, or when it's 1,500 people, and you've got state meetings, it's a little easier to do. You know, when you get close to 15,000 members, it really has to be an intentional activity that you intentionally are trying to build a sense of community. You're intentionally trying to, to 
to connect with folks. And so I, while I think it's always been there, I think at least within the next decade or so, we've really tried to intentionally build that culture through activities and programs and the way regions run and, and all of those pieces to always connect to that relational piece of what advising is about. Charlie, you mentioned there the the size of Nakata. You know, it's it's a, a giant, pre- prestigious organization, and you are head of the household. I mean, every family works in different ways, but ultimately, so, somebody is is at the head of the household. And I think it would be interesting for 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 me, and I think for listeners, to hear about how you approach leadership. I hope this is how I approach it. This is how I think I approach it. You might ask Bev Martin. Obviously, she's very open to telling you anything. Um, I'm a I'm a big collaborative person, a big um, connecting person. Um, I am not a micromanager, and I've never been a micromanager. Um, I think I bring to leadership the same thing I brought to teaching, which was my whole goal in teaching was to provide my students with the foundation for them to do the best they could do and grow on their own. And that's my been my approach to leadership. Um, number one, you should never ask anybody to do that you're not willing to do yourself. You know, when I was vice president for student affairs at a community college in Georgia, I was the one who was last leaving the student center mopping my way out of the out of the student center at the end of a, an event at night. I wasn't going to ask the staff member to, to haul chairs, to put up chairs, if I wasn't going to do it. And so there's nothing that I, nothing in the association that I haven't done, including the hall boxes and pack conference programs and the whole nine yards within that. Um, so I want to say collaborative. I want to say my major goal is getting people to be the most successful they can be in their own way and finding that path. Um, you know, when you get to this position, you have to be very careful what you say. Because when you say something, folks assume that's a directive or they assume Charlie said it, so we got to get it done. And so I spent a lot of time with staff or with Nakata leaders saying, OK, I'm just brainstorming here. Or here's just some ideas. This isn't what I want you to do. I'm just brainstorming with you. And so I think I think you have to be even more intentional to be careful not to just automatically throw out your thoughts because people assume that's what you want to happen. And that's not what I want to happen. I want people to figure that out for themselves. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about later, but the executive office is doing a phenomenal job right now with working from a distance and looking at how do we virtually connect with our members. Um, The board of directors and the council just did a a mid-year meeting virtually within that. And all of that is because folks are committed to working together and building and finding those ways. And if either I or Aaron or Megumi or, or Cecilia, if we come across as, as micromanaging or dictatorial or telling people what to do, you're not going to see us grow in whatever this new normal is going to be. And I think that's where we're really focusing and the board of directors is focusing so much right now is we're never going to go back to where we were. I think we all, anybody with any sanity, I'll just put it out there. It's not believing we're going to go back to where we were in January. Um, So we got to be prepared for what the new future may look like, which means a lot of dreaming, a lot of 
of brainstorming, a lot of wouldn't it be cool if conversations. And you can't do that if people don't trust you and that you don't trust your folks. And so I can tell you, I've got the best. They're not my staff. They're the Nakata executive office staff. Um, I'm very careful. You won't. You won't often hear me say my office or my staff because they're not mine. I don't own a damn thing. I mean, they are the Carters, but it's amazing to see what folks are doing because they want to do the best possible thing you can for this association. And at the bottom of that are the students. I don't know of any association that doesn't lose track of the students like the Carter does it because it's really easy when you're at conferences to only think about your colleagues or your presentation you're doing or the research you're doing, any meeting, any Nakata event you go to, you're never going to go maybe longer than five minutes without somebody talking about the students. And I think that's another reason why we're so connected is because of that. So I hope I lead like I teach um, in many ways, because I think they're one of the same. Mm -hmm. And and any presentation, any panel, any random conversation, yeah, the student is always brought up of how or what what are we doing? How does this connect back to the students? Does it benefit them? Does it make sense? And yeah, so students is always at the forefront of that. And and honestly, shout out to the executive office. And you know, for me yeah. personally, it's been such a pleasure working with Ben and Deb for the Region 9 conference and just how easy it is to get in touch with them, how hardworking they are. I mean especially now during this time. I mean, even more hardworking than ever. And so really shout out to them. And I really appreciate everything that they've done, you know, for me and, and for um, our conference committee and for Region 9 and, you know, for all regions. But you mentioned um, being a leader in terms of connecting people. And um, I think for Colin and I, that is absolutely, you saw something in both of us and like you have this vision, you have a good eye and, you know, it's been one of the best partnerships that I've had. So, you know, truly thank you for doing that for us. Well, and I was just going to bring that up. I think another big part of leadership is connecting people. Mm-hmm. And and I will be honest, I will never forget that afternoon in Hoslet when you had just walked off and all of a sudden I looked over and there was Colin and I thought, ooh, videoing and, and I just I remember grabbing you and saying come with me I want to introduce you to because I thought these two guys could do phenomenal things and um, I think I work very hard at that how do we connect people how do we do that because we can't do this alone I mean it is not something we can do alone and so we got to have those connections and so yeah I believe very strongly in that yeah I'm Charlie, what I what what's so admirable, and I think why people respond is because you are so genuine, right? I mean, you talk there about how you're not a micromanager, but that's not just talk, and you talk about intention because that's exactly you you put Matt and I together, and you said to us, um, you know, I think you'd be great to work together. You should come up with a video, but you let us, you know, come up with the video idea, and you were completely supportive. And I know that Oscar has a wonderful story about how you you said to him about the international, but then you left it up to the, to to Oscar and and others to 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 you know to dream the dream. You you sowed the acorn, but then you know let the others come up with it. So I think that is why people respond, and I suppose you know that that is is really admirable. Where, like what were your um inspirations or who where did where did you learn like the, or what what is it that um inspired you i had some really good teachers 
going through school. I really did. I had some phenomenal teachers. Um, my little house that I have here on St. Simons belonged to two teachers that taught me in third grade and taught me in seventh grade math. Um, and they just kind of adopted me. You know, I was a skinny white kid with a speech impediment from southeast Georgia, deaf in one ear. I was had nothing going for me. But the two of them saw something in me and got me just to enjoy being with people within that. And I just remember every single teacher who affected my life in that way um, and connected me with others and connected me with friends and, and that type of thing. Um, and so I think that's really where it came from was I had some phenomenal teachers and, and the teachers I remember the most were ones who said, here's an idea, see what you can do with it. And I knew even if it wasn't, exactly what she or he wanted me to do, it was still going to be acceptable. But they would also still be totally honest and tell me what the challenges were and how I could fix it. That really always hit me. Um, you know, I think it's the height of arrogance to assume you know everything um, and that you have all the best ideas. You too. I don't know anything about videoing, but I knew y'all did. And it would have been the height of arrogance to say to you two, now I'd like a video that does this. I'd like for this to happen. I'd like for that to happen. Y'all would never have done all you have done probably if I had given you a set of directives. I don't know. You two are so – y'all y'all do what people tell you to do. You probably would have. But it would not have had the creativity y'all put into it. It would not have had the passion y'all put into it had it been my dream. You know, I didn't know what y'all were going to do, but I knew it could be powerful if you just got together and did it. And I think that's what it's about, helping people to find their dream and and then respecting that dream, even if it's not yours. You know, we do lots of things in Dakota that I don't particularly think is how we should be doing it, but they're not my, that's not my dream. That's the region's dream, or that's the annual conference's dream, or that's the webcast dream, or um, that's the diversity initiative aspects so you know it's not it's not charlie nuts dream it's not charlie nuts association it's every member's association every member's dream and if i can do anything to help spark that then that's what i think my job is i mean i get i have the best job in the world i'm gonna tell you um i i, I plan to come to, the, to kansas for 10 years and come back to georgia 18 years later, I'm still there, and I wouldn't still be there if I didn't love this job, um, and it truly is a job I love. I have the best job in the world. I work with the best people in the world, um, but don't you feel that same way about your students, that you work with the best students in the world? You don't, you don't like them all. You don't think they're all the best things in the world, but you love them all. You know, I may not like everybody or agree with them, but I can guarantee you I love everybody for what they bring to the table. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's the creative process. And I think sometimes from what I've read and heard and, you know, heard stories about, it's, there, it goes between the creative to the critiquing process. And sometimes the creative process never comes through and it's an automatic critique, no matter what ideas you throw out there. And you really push for be creative and sky's the limit. And no matter how ridiculous the idea sounds, something good could come out of that. Um, and I think what we both appreciate too about you is how willing you are to participate in anything that anyone requires of you. I mean, you rode a scooter in Louisville. So. 
Um, you know, you can't ask people to dream if you're not willing to be a part of the dream, you know? And so I'll tell you a quick story. We, we checked, we converted from cement from quarter to semesters back on my old campus in Georgia. And it was a pretty dramatic trauma filled process. And so I said to, to the folks in the admissions office, the registrar, the advisors, I said, okay, let's, let's, let's celebrate. Let's do something to celebrate the big. So a group of them came up with the idea that we would do a funeral for the quarter system and a rebirth for the semester system. And so they did, they organized and put together a New Orleans style funeral complete with the jazz musicians and the 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 um preacher and the whole nine yards um we and it we did all the way around the campus with horses and and people hats and then we got to the end and there was a giant egg and the semester was birthed out of that egg well i'm totally claustrophobic i mean i'm seriously scared claustrophobic they asked me if I would get in the coffin and play the dead quarter. And so I thought, I can't do this. I cannot. Then I thought, oh, hell, I have to do this. So I got in it, but I made them put a bar so I could make sure to hold the top open. And I kept popping up and looking at people because I thought I'm going to lose my mind if I'm in here. But, you know, if I had said, no, I'm too embarrassed to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. I'd have blown their whole theory. It made the lo- it made the local news. It made the Atlanta news. It was, I mean... Had there been YouTube back then, it probably would have made YouTube. Um, but it was totally because they had so much fun doing it. And and that, that was the dream to do that. But if I hadn't participated, I don't think that it had as much fun. It sounds like it would have been made for TikTok. Uh, but uh, alas, <laughs> that wasn't it, there I, by, uh, at that time. So, Charlie, you said 18 years in, in Kansas. And... Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I I I'm come from a country where we are a nation of storytellers, and I think you have the the gift of the gab. And I think for for listeners, it might be interesting, you know, uh, to hear some of your Nakata memories, some of, some of the things that stick out to you from those eighteen years. Oh God, there's so many. There are so many. Everybody knows who Virginia Gordon was, and knows her her research, her writing, her I mean, I used to call Virginia the, the Bruce Springsteen of advising. I mean, she was the boss of advising. That's what I called her, was the, the boss. Um, and I remember it was 1996 or seven. I got asked to be at the um, Summer Institute as a faculty member in Madison, Wisconsin. And Virginia was on the faculty because she always had been. I don't think I spoke to her for that entire week. I was so intimidated by her. I hid from her. I mean, she just, that was Virginia freaking Gordon. I mean, give me a break. Well, the next year we were in Park City, Utah. And so we decided we're going to go find a restaurant somewhere up in the mountains that we could take the faculty for dinner. So the former executive director, Bobby Flaherty, and I, and Virginia Gordon, and Diane Madison get in the car, and we're going through the mountains. All of a sudden, I hear this very faint that became huge yodeling in the back seat. It was Virginia Gordon yodeling in the back seat of the car. And it was like, that's freaking Virginia Gordon yodeling in the back seat of the car. I'll never, ever forget that. 
never forget that. Um, that same summer at that summer institute, there was hot air balloons. Not only is I'm claustrophobic, I'm also deathly afraid of, of heights. And so they, I let them talk me to get into an air, hot air balloon. No, I was pitiful. I mean, I was, I was near tears. It was horrible. And um, we were the second balloon to go up that day. And so we were getting out of the balloon, and, and I said to the guy, I'm so sorry. I was so bad. And he said, you know, you were pretty bad. And he said, you really ought to be ashamed because there was this little 70-year-old white-haired lady that jumped in out of that bat, Virginia Gordon, at 5 o'clock. She put me to shame in the hot air balloon. And so, you know, that summer was always huge because there was a, uh, I mean, a Virginia Gordon yodeling in the backseat of my car. I mean, it was just it was just unbelievable within that. Um, yeah, there's so many stories like that and, and things you do. And, and um, you can't be a member of the association since 1993 without not having those dreams. You also can't be uh, involved with it as closely as I have for 18 years without having them. And there's just so many within that. Um, a lot I can't tell you. <laughs> You never leave a Nakata conference without feeling energized and empowered and excited and a little sad it's over. And I think we all go to conferences and meetings where we're thinking, if this doesn't end soon, I'm going to just lose my mind. I don't think I've ever come to the end of a Nakata event happy it was over. You know, I might be happy to be going back home after not being home for two weeks, or I might be happy, you know, but. To leave the people, never. And I think that's a really big point. I think everybody feels that. You know, I don't know many Nakata people who say to you at the end of the conference, God, I'm glad to be going home. I'm so sick of these people. You don't hear that. And that's really, that speaks to the members. I mean, that speaks to the passion, to the the the, the nature of what advising is that makes it that way. Well, I think uh, some of those stories you can't say. Once we stop the recording, you can tell us after. <laughs> oh, I got several. <laughs> <laughs> but your point about conferences and leaving the conference, yeah, I mean, for me and for a lot of people I hear, and especially if it's on social media right after the conference, it's about, I wish I had more time at this conference. I wish it was longer. I wish I could have spent more time with, with individuals that I only get to see maybe once a year. And I've, or I've learned so much that I now can take back to my institution or I can share with others. So it's always positive. It's always something that's you feel energized and you feel inspired. And speaking of members, uh, we asked listeners to uh, send in their questions. And uh, we actually had a few that came in that we'd like to ask you. Um, okay. And one of them, uh, this one comes from Regina Toby David from Covenant University. And uh, Regina uh, writes, I attended the last Nakata conference in Louisville, mm -hmm. and I want to know how to get more involved in Nakata activities and translate this to uh, my particular institution in Nigeria. Very good. Very good. Um, I think I think one of the things that is so important for all of us to remember is we're all going to be translating our Nakata experiences into a different culture or setting. Um, I worked at a very small community college for almost 20 years. When I first started in Nakata, the majority of Nakata were, were research ones or at the most four-year residential hall institutions. It was also a great deal of, of primary role advisors in the association. You have to understand, until I came to the first Nakata meeting, I didn't know there was such a thing as an academic advisor 
who wasn't a faculty member. I had had faculty members in my total undergraduate, and then I'd been a faculty advisor. So when I went to the first Nakata meeting, which was in Birmingham, Alabama in 1992, I think, um, these people said, I'm an advisor. And I thought, okay, what do you teach? Well, no, I'm an advisor. I never even heard of that before. And so, you know, I think we're all going to be translating. So I had to take what I learned when I went to an Arizona State conference and translate it back at, at Coastal Georgia Community College, um, where I didn't have residential halls and where um, our students were primarily, you know, average age was 39, not 18. And so I think she's got an excellent point. You're always going to have to translate it. It's not always language. Many times it's institutional type or role or whatever the case may be. And so I think what's really important to do is think about what you've learned and how you can apply it. I, I said to you in, in an interview, Matt, at the end of the, the Louisville conference, I'm a huge believer in every single person needs to think of what are three things I learned at this conference that I can go back and implement on my campus and make a difference and change. And then you you inform your administrators of that. Tell them what you've learned. Tell them what you're putting into place because they are then more likely to understand why advising is important. They're then more likely to understand why you want to go back to advising or back to Nakata the next year because they see it benefited the students on your campus. So I think that's the first thing you do is is whether it's your first conference or your 40th conference, what am I going to take back and what are the three things I'm going to put into place? Then you are always utilizing that and your campus knows that you're doing that. I think the other piece is we don't, we share among ourselves a lot. We don't share outside of ourselves a lot. And so we need to be, whatever your position is, you need to be sharing up. You, everybody gets four issues of the AAT every single year. Are you sending those articles to the provost or the president or the, the chancellor to let them be aware of what's going on in the association and how advice is important? When uh, the journal comes out, and there's an article that particularly applies to the College of Business and you're in the College of Health Services. Are you being willing to send that to the dean of the College of Business and say this article might be really good? So that's the other thing we have to do. Our people back home and our administrators did not have the experience we just had. You know, I used to say they haven't been to the Nakata Mountain. They haven't come to the hill, you know. Um, so they don't understand when we come back with that excited, with that enthused. And they don't understand why the next year we say, oh, we got to go to Nakata. They're like, well, you just went last year. Why do you need to go again? Unless we make that case for ourselves, which means we've got to do that, that, that sharing up and sharing out and working with each other and building those. The same thing we do with our students, we need to do with our colleagues, our administrators, and, and the other folks on campus, because that's what's going to make Nakata alive on your campus and make academic advising important on your campus, because you can't do it by yourself. You need everybody involved in that. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think that's a great way of, of bringing it to life, like because we, we know the life and vibrancy that exists at the conference so how do you how do you translate that back and i think translate is is kind of perfect and i think charlie what you said early on there is really helpful to people because i think for people who 
um, you know, either are new to advising, uh, maybe in a North American context, or are coming from outside North America, oh. where advising, you know, is maybe not as well known, not as understood. Um, to hear that, you know, you were introduced to it you didn't know about it when you attended your first I think that's refreshing because it can seem to people who come in from the outside oh my god all of these people here know everything and so it I, but I've always found the kata to be really welcoming and and to it you know people it, it's easy to get involved it can seem a little bit daunting initially but there are so many opportunities to to get involved and whether you want to dip your toe in the water or whether you want to dive in head first the cat is prepared to welcome you either way and and i think Colin, you're exactly right um you know a lot of people think there must be a secret handshake i'm the only one who doesn't know that handshake to get involved or um well you know charlie never asked me to do something or whatever the case may be. And I think we got to recognize that we're all in this because we love students and we believe in students. We're in advising because we love students. We believe in students. What is going to make you the best advisor possible? And that is to get involved with the association and connect to other people. And so if you even do it from a standpoint of how am I going to better my students, you're going to make that hard introduction to someone that you don't know within that. Um, you know, Colm, I use you as an example. I'm not really sure you were on the planning committee for Dublin. And I'm not really sure that you came to do everything you did at the Dublin conference or since then. I remember you walking up as I was sitting on the floor stuffing bags out of a cart and you said, can I help? And you started stuffing bags. I think you were just walking by. I don't know that. But and then you were there the entire time. And so you're a perfect example to me of that. That was the case because I had I had just started at UCD and I, I didn't hadn't known a, a whole lot about Nakata or the conference. But I went along and I was there for the the, the opening. I thought, wow, the this is there's there's just a different sort of vibe here and people seem really interested in students which I've always been in and that's that doesn't exist everywhere I mean uh, I wish it did and I wish that 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 was the case at all our institutions and throughout the institution but it doesn't um but it did there and I thought thought this is great I want to hang around with these people so I did I don't think I, I didn't even know who you were but I saw you sitting on the floor packing a bag I thought ah that's something I can do I don't need to have any particular knowledge of the Nakata organization I can just pack a bag and so yeah mm -hmm. that was that was the beginning and and like I said I don't think you came to get involved you just did and I think that's what people have to do is just realize that. And it and it is hard. You know, the larger we get, the more the more difficult that's going to become. Um, and I just try to encourage people to think of your student. Everything you tell your student to do, to get involved, to be successful in college, you need to. I've always said advisors should be forced to tape record every advising session and then play it back to themselves and do everything they just told the student to do. Because everything you tell the student to do to be successful in their courses and their major is what you need to do to be successful and connected with Nakata. Excellent point. Excellent point. And speaking of Nakata and maybe resources, things that Nakata offers, aside from webinars, our next question is, are there other online professional development that members can use? Um, you know, 
the web webinars we've done for many years. We started the e tutorials a couple of years ago, I think. Um, Jennifer Jocelyn really got those moving before she moved on to to Drew University. Uh, we we have the online graduate programs through Kansas State, but it's been so exciting. And I'm going to give you two some props here. I think a lot of your videos and podcast people began to think, oh, there's some really other cool things. I don't have to, you know, these two guys on opposite sides of the world, they're collaborating, they're talking. So I think y'all have been a good um, role model, even though you don't see you two and you don't feel that way. I know you don't, but that's what you are. And so I think those, but I'm really excited that in this time, particularly that not only the executive office, but all, every member group and unit group is really looking at how can we virtually reach out to our members, and particularly right now when we're all at home and we don't have – you can't just walk next door to, and, and throw an idea out at somebody. You know, I tell folks – I've been talking to my rocking chair a lot in the living room because it will at least move a little bit, you know, because there's nobody here but me. Um, and so when you're by yourself, how do you connect? And so it's been really exciting that, um, you know, the, the ACDs, I mean, the technology and advising group, those lunch and learns are phenomenal. They're not official Nakata sponsored event. The ACDs doing those. And that's phenomenal. Um, Region 2 just did a virtual award ceremony because the award winners couldn't get the award in um, Virginia. So they just – I didn't tell them to do that. Ben didn't say every region must do that. They did that. And so it's not just the EO that's working with the you know the Global Connection series that we're doing and the um, advising week that we're doing and, and looking at and, and – um, quite frankly, trying to prepare for the future of the association and for higher ed when we don't know when face-to-face media is going to happen again. So we've got to find more virtual opportunities. But it's so exciting to see the ACDs doing it and the committees doing it and the regions doing it. And it's been a little challenging because obviously there's a lot of things going on that people think we all should know everything about. And so, you know, somebody will write me and say, now, what's that? When's that um, ACD meeting? And I'll go, I have no idea what you're talking about. So then I try to get on Facebook and figure out what it is, you know, so just to try to be sure that, no, we don't have to coordinate it. But at least if we know what it is, we can put it on the calendar and then we can share it. We can make sure those. So it's been a little challenging when you want to do as good a job as you want to do. You can fall into a controlling pattern. So, you know, not every single thing that is being done is going to be at 100 miles an hour. It may be a 20 mile an hour event or activity, but it connected with somebody. And then that person connected with somebody else. And then that person said, you know, I can connect with five more of my students virtually because they just did that with me. And so it's not a competition. And so how do we just do this? I want the regions to do as much as they can do. I want the ACDs to do as much as they can do. And then I want the association to formally do as much as we can do. And then how do we pull them all together within that? So that that would be my answer. We're going to see a lot more virtual than we've ever seen before, just by the nature of the beast within that. And I think they're going to be exciting. I, I don't think I know they're going to be exciting because they're already exciting. It's just going to be all of us adjusting to this new world, you know, with people, people. 
you know, even if you're, you know, I have a friend that said, uh, that sent me a, a, a quote he found somewhere that basically said the pandemic has finally tapped into his introvert, being an introvert, because his entire life he wanted to be by himself all the time, not talk to anybody. And now he has to be, you know, so not every advisor is an extrovert. Not every advisor is a, a, a out there in front of people, but every advisor believes in connecting with their students. And so how do we do that? You know, groups of five, groups of 100, groups of whatever, and make those happen and partner with each other to make those occur. Oh, yeah. And, you know, whether it's these Facebook pages that are, that are being created or these virtual webinars that are being done, every morning I wake up and there's either an email or there's a social media post about something that's going on that could help us in this time. And it's it's also refreshing to see like how much interest there is. Um, like just recently, I think this morning there was a hundred participants that that could be in in the webinar, and it maxed out. Luckily, a lot of these are being recorded and posted, so people will have access to this. And so, yeah, it's a very nice thing nice thing to see. And I think keeping with students in mind, and that's kind of been the thing the theme of a lot of this is uh, the last question that we have for you is uh, actually from Sherry Souza from Capilani Community College, and and she asks, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, what suggestions do you have for academic advisors as they strive to keep students engaged with their curriculum and their institution remotely? Um, I'm going to give the best advice I can, which is not to listen to me, because I'm not on a campus right now, <laughs> and all of you are. I would encourage her to really seriously tap into the two-year college academic advising community. They've had some phenomenal webcasts and much and large since this has been going on, they're all uh, recorded. They can be found on their Facebook page or the Nakata page. Um, same thing with the technology academic advising community. Um, we just did a panel last week that's recorded on the Nakata website um, that Dana Zahorik from Fox Valley Technical College, Cynthia Pascal from um, Northern Virginia Community College, and they talked specifically about what community colleges need to do. So I would encourage her to tap in and, and find those. I also think I can't I can't leave without giving this plug that I think this is really going to be more important than ever that whether we can attend something a face to face meeting in the future or not, there's never been a time that your Nakata membership is not going to be more valued and more important to you and your students than right now, uh, because that's how you can access all of these resources and all of these pieces. Everything we're doing with the Global Connection Series is free. Everything we're doing with academic advising appreciation is, is free with your membership. And so more important than ever, it's time that you really have to make that commitment and move that forward within that. A lot of us fall into the habit is if I go to an event, I'll join when I go. If you wait for that, that might be two years down the road before you can go again and look at all you missed because you didn't join. So I just encourage everybody who's listening, really realize that for your students, the best thing you could do is keep your membership renewed because of all the resources, all the people you're going to connect to. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's, it's so true. I think you get so many benefits. And I also think that the learnings, and I think what we've been talking about maybe for the last five or 10 minutes reminds me of, I don't even know if, if it's true, but a story I heard and that I always share with any group that I work with, any group of students is around the fact that uh, Can I, I heard Canadian geese. I don't know if this is true, but the way they migrate is 
one goose leads, but when that goose gets tired, it drops back. And if a, if a goose gets sick, two, two of the geese go underneath to hold them up. So they work in partnership. So it's not always the same person leading. It's not, they're not always going 100 miles an hour. Sometimes the entire group slows down to 20 miles an hour, but they, all, they get there. And without each other, they wouldn't get there. So everybody has a role to play. And I think that's the, the beauty of Nakata, that everybody has a role to play. And I think that I, I try to find a silver lining in anything. And God knows trying to find that in 2020 has not been easy. Um, but, you know, one of the things I think is really coming to light so much with the executive office and the and the leadership and the board of directors recently is what is the core of our beliefs? What is the core of Nakata? What's the core of academic advising? And what we're really coming to and articulating in ways we never have before, I think clearly is content, engagement, and connection. And the only way you're going to support your students to be successful is by gaining new content, by engaging with each other, and by connecting with each other. And that's why this right now, this is not the time to quit learning. This is not the time to quit engaging. This is not the time to quit connecting. You might have to do it from six feet, but you still can engage. Um, And so I just encourage everybody here to remember those are the three things that need to keep us moving in this time. Perfect, perfect way to end this for this interview. And Charlie, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this podcast, especially this being our our 10th episode. And thank you for having us uh, be part of this Global Advising Week. Thank you so much. And I just want to thank you too publicly for being willing to take a crazy old man's thought last summer and say, you two would work well together and get a beer and listen to me and do it. Um, Thank you all. I really appreciate what you've done. Thank you so much. What a fun interview. I mean, all these interviews have have been great and all our guests. And it was nice to have Charlie on again for the second time on Adventures in Advising. And and like you were saying when you're introing his interview, a great storyteller, like one of the best. And I'm just always in awe just listening to all his stories and the experience he has in advising and all that he's done in advising. And so I know Charlie talks about it's a team effort which it is, but Charlie is just such an amazing person has given uh, so much uh, to this profession. Absolutely. A, a true inspiration. And I think hopefully we have captured the essence of Nakata. We tried to you know, bring in different voices and a diverse array of voices, but to have the incoming vice president the current president and the executive director i think gives a true flavor of the organization there are fifteen thousand people who are part of nakata we couldn't get all of the voices on here today but what matt and i are going to endeavor to do is over the the coming weeks months years uh, who knows how, how long, but we will endeavor to the decades, decades potentially <laughs> to get as many voices as we possibly can. But we hope this has been an enjoyable listen. We certainly had a lot of fun making this episode. We hope that you as listeners will continue to check out what we produce, but also for this Nakata Global Advising Week and 
Nakata's partners in the Global Advising Week. Check out what's out there. There is going to be lots and lots happening. We're not finished just yet because we have the final question that we uh, posed to our advisors and that was we asked for their first impressions of Nakata. We just want to thank everyone who participated today. It's been really great. And for listeners, if this is your first introduction to Adventures in Advising, we'd love if you went back, check out the previous nine episodes. We've tried to cover a diverse array of topics and you can check back wherever you're listening to this podcast. You'll be able to to go back and check out the previous episodes. So do that. Absolutely, Column, and thank you listeners for sticking with us through 10 episodes, and hopefully you're going to stick around for not just 10 more, but maybe up to 100. We shall see. But we'll leave you with first impressions of Nakata from Joshua Johnson, Karen Archambault, Amanda Roberts-Mather, Michael Giroux, and Rachel Mars. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is Joshua Johnson, also known as JJ, from the University of Central Florida. Um, my first impressions would have been that my first annual conference in 2008 in Chicago, my first exposure to Nakata, which I was told to attend this conference by my mother, who was overseeing and it's overseeing and advising um, department. Um, so when I attended this conference to see so many people who have um, advising duties and have a passion for advising was very overwhelming, but in a good way. Um, overwhelming to where you're sharing ideas, sharing struggles, um, sharing opportunities um, was, was a great thing, was an awesome thing for me to experience, which left a lasting impression and re-energize my passion every, you know, there on forward, which has led to many opportunities and led to building lasting and long-lasting network of friends. So there you go. There's my first impressions of Nakata. The best way to describe my first impression of Nakata is intimidating. Uh, my first time at a Nakata event was in 2002. And I felt like I was invited to someone else's family reunion where I, I didn't know um, who anyone was and everyone seemed to know each other. And what I figured out when I went back to Nakata for my second event um, was that that was really more about me and I needed to uh, be willing to be a little uncomfortable. And once I was, and once I was willing to, to step up, um, I started becoming involved and found that um, it wasn't someone else's family reunion that I was going to, it was actually mine. And um, I found a, a family in the association that is a family of choice and that I just couldn't find anywhere else. So what was my first impression of Nakata? Well, it was 2009, it was the annual conference in San Antonio. And as you may know or have heard of, in Texas we like to do things big. So this is a very big conference. So my first impression was one of, wow, this is amazing. And also I was very overwhelmed by the amount of knowledge and the number of sessions to choose from. And I really had no clue what I was supposed to get out of it other than to go to sessions. But what I really found was most valuable is I had some really great mentors and friends that I attended the conference with who were very active in Nakata. And so they, 
took me under their wing and they really showed me the ropes and they encouraged me to get involved and they encouraged me to not just go to sessions but to talk to presenters not just after sessions but uh, you know during ask questions during sessions network with people and also to what I learned also was um, you're not going to get in trouble if you don't go to every session. I was a little bit nervous about that. So, you know, to use the time during sessions and between sessions to network and to really learn from your fellow advisors, your fellow attendees and members. Hey everyone, this is Mike Giroux from UAlbany. Just wanted to wish Nikata a happy 40th birthday. Um, to contribute to the messages from everyone, um, reflecting on my first impressions of Nakata, that would actually be the um, Region 1 conference in Newport, Rhode Island in 2014. And that was my first conference, really excited uh, you know, to be there. And what I noticed immediately was how much passion and commitment to student success all of the attendees of the conference you know, had. Uh, no matter who I talked to, everyone was just loved the work they were doing and are currently doing, you know, in advising. Lots of wonderful ideas uh, going around the rooms and then, you know, the hallways in between sessions uh, and just wonderful commitment, um, you know, to the work and excellence in advising that we all put forth you know, each and every day. One of my best sessions I attended that conference was a session about the Emerging Leaders Program, uh, a program I haven't decided to join just yet, but at the end of that session, I connected with Vince Koskowski from Maine, and he essentially became my mentor after my first session, uh, first conference. So it was a wonderful connection. We are still great friends to today. And because of Nakata, I'm able to do what I need um, you know, to do in my work and continue to grow. So happy birthday, and to everyone, hang in there and keep doing the good work. Hey, Nakata family. This is Rachel Mars, and I was tasked with the question of, what were your first impressions of Nakata? And I can probably tell you a couple of things, but the one that really sticks out to me was from when I went to the conference back in 2016, um, that was my first conference. And I just remember feeling like I'd come home a little bit, that people here understood me and they got why I wanted to be an advisor and why advisors were so important. And that was just a really kind of a big win <laughs> in my life at that time. I also remember being in the breakfast line at Nakata and totally fangirling over the fact that Charlie Nutt was like five feet away from me. And I totally went up to him and said hello and introduced myself and then I totally did the most millennial thing ever and asked for a picture. And so, <laughs> and so I remember that being <laughs> just a big highlight of the trip and that also that that interaction with Charlie really made me realize how much I belong to this organization and how much they wanted me to. And sometimes that's hard to experience in a professional association and that is something that I really love about this organization is that no one is more important than the other person. Each person matters and each advisor and their caseload and their students matter. And I think that goes a long way with remembering that why we do the things that we do. And um, I'm just really grateful for that opportunity to be a part of this. So thanks Nakata and happy birthday.